The more pain that you can get the prospect to feel, the more they want to change. I have got what Inc. calls the number one fastest growing sales company in the world. The unique use of behavioral science and human psychology. The sales world has already transformed. We need to catch up. 3x, 5x, even 10x their sales results. His training has transformed everything. Most salespeople have been trained to view selling as adversarial. Hmm. You against the prospect, trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them so you make money. But that's what average salespeople do. That's why they don't make that much money. Your, your nonverbal and your verbal skills are 73% of the sale. How do I do that then? Nobody knows how to teach the right tone. Anytime a prospect feels or they hear certain words or tone that they've heard from other salespeople, they're instantly going into survival mode trying to get rid of you. Human beings will always buy from the salesperson or the company who they feel understands them the most. If you want to be a top 1% earning salesperson, you want to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in commissions, if not more. As a W-2 or 10-9 salesperson, you have to... What's going on, Wealth Builders? Today, I have got what Inc. calls the number one fastest growing sales company in the world. I've got the head of it. They have trained almost half a million salespeople and have done some crazy things. I've got none other than Jeremy Miner. What's up, man? Hey, you know, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Just watch the show the, the last couple of weeks and stuff. Started following you on IG. So yeah. well done. I like your stuff, man. Thanks for having me on the having me on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And probably all of our sales. Is that guys, what you tell everybody though? Well, sometimes. Oh, only sometimes. only okay. when like I actually am. Because sometimes oh, okay. people come on and I'm like yeah. I don't know why you're on, but let's find out, right? But the <laughs> oh, reason I'm excited is because yeah. a lot of our sales guys follow you. Oh, do they? Okay. And yeah. they they love your tactics. They love just everything you teach and sure. all that stuff. And truthfully, I've always yeah. been a pretty good sales guy naturally, but yeah. I've gone through no sales training. Mm. So like I just mm-hmm. kind of wing it and mm. try and make deals. And that's how. It- how do you wing it? Like when you say <laughs> you wing it, what does that mean? Dude, I literally like this podcast. I yeah. walk into this podcast and yeah. there's no set agenda or okay. questions. We're just going to wing it. You're just going to wing it, man. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting uh interesting plan there. Yeah. There is no plan. That's There the plan. is no plan. I the like plan it. is we're going to talk and I'm going to try and learn as much as I, I like can that. and, you know, see where it goes. Let's do it, brother. Yeah. What, what do you want to know? Well, you know, my guys tell me that mm. your methodology for sales mm-hmm. is the best, period. Why do they say that? I don't know why there's a say. lot of methodologies out there. There is. And yeah. I've had a lot of guys on here. Mm. Um, I've had Grant Cardone. I've mm. had Andy Elliott. I've had Brad Lee. I've had yeah. all these guys who teach different Love methodologies. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I've gone through just Sandler, um, Sandler who we were talking about yeah. before. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've been trained by people. Well, I haven't been trained, but our company Sandler's the big daddy, man. They, they started in 1971, long before any of us were born in here. Yeah. But I think before getting into what exactly you teach, yeah. I mean, how did you even get to training almost half a million salespeople? Like what, what was your mm. path? Why, why do you have the credibility to do so? Well, you know, I, so I got started in, in selling 22 years ago as broke, burned out college student. And I got my first job actually selling home security systems door to door. You ever sold door to door? Never. It's an interesting experience. <laughs> if it's actually be very profitable, but you know what you're doing. If you're not, you're going to get smacked around. I, I should say I have because uh-huh. I've door knocked homeowners to uh, try and get sure, a deal with real estate. Okay, so you've yeah, done a little bit, a yeah. little bit. So got got my first job selling home security systems, and it's like in these summer programs. I went to school in Utah, Utah Valley University, 
And that, that's the hub. That, for that is the hub door to door. Like it's yeah. the hub of door to door. It's like pest control companies, solar alarms, like vacuum cleaners, like anything that sold door to door, like the hub is right there. It's amazing. But, well, you got all the Mormon missionaries who sure. that's all they did. LDS missionaries. Yeah, for sure. And that's me. I was, you know, LDS went, went on my mission and stuff, came back, you know, and I'm like, oh, what am you're I going to do? You already prepped for I'm it. I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> like now I got to make money. You know, I'm like 21. I got to make money. So I was going to school. Yeah. And so my friend comes in, he's like, hey man, there's this this pizza party, like free pizza. You know, you can make all this money in the summer selling these alarms and it's really easy. I'm like, okay, free pizza. So I walk in and basically there's a hundred people in the room and everybody gets hired. So mm-hmm. it's one of those jobs, straight commission. So like they just take whoever wants to do it, right? right? And so they basically give you a script and they give you a couple books by the sales gurus, you know, that you know, that have been around for 50 who was, years. Who was the gurus back oh, then? Oh man, I, oh geez. Well, I, there's no social media. So you're just reading well, books. Yeah. yeah. Books. So I, you know, I, I, and I love all these people. I always respect everyone that, that has come before me. Cause I always think there's everybody has strengths and weaknesses, right? Like nobody's perfect. So, you know, like Tom Hopkins and, and some of those people. So you'd read their books and, and I still like, they would drive you out in a van basically door to door and they basically kick they don't let you drive it by yourself because you're not going to go out you know you're just going to go to mcdonald's and hang out all day right and so they drive you out in a van they basically kick you out of the van they're like hey go make some sales we'll pick you up after dark it's going to be easy and i still remember this i was, I was thinking about this before i got in here i, I looked back at my sales manager because i was the last one to be dropped off and i was like terrified i'm like oh my gosh you know i'm this 20 21 year old kid and his name was x and he had this curly blonde hair and he's like jeremy remember when you knock on the door show them your enthusiasm <laughs> Show them how excited you are about the product and that you believe in it and they're going to believe in it. And I'm like, that makes sense. If I believe in the product, if I show them I'm excited, then somehow they're going to be excited. So I started knocking on the doors, talking about my features and benefits and how we had the best this and we were the number one this and it was going to help them with this and it was going to do all this stuff. I noticed I started getting all these objections from the very first store. Mm. We don't need it. Uh, your price is too high. We already talked with somebody from your company. Oh, alarms, I've got a dog. Or... Oh, you know, let me think it over. I need to do more research. You know, can you call me back in a week, a month, a year later? Right. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. And so I remember I finally got to this point, probably about seven, eight weeks in of like all nonstop rejection. You're working like in those summer programs, you work like 12, 12 hours a day and it's six days a week. It's like, you know, Sunday's your day off. And I, I remember like setting on a curve, like one late, I think it was like a Friday or Saturday night. And like, you know, you got the, you got the hot, humid humidity. So like sun, you know, so like you're sweating through your shirt, your legs. Have you ever knocked door to door 12 hours straight? They're like jello. Yeah, right? I haven't done that. <laughs> okay. Anybody that anybody watching us right now or listening to us, if you've done door to door, you know what I'm talking about. And I yeah. remember, I remember feeling like I'd made zero sales that day. So straight commission, zero sales means zero dollars. In fact, that week I made zero sales. So I'd worked like 60 hours and made nothing. I could have made more minimum wage at Wendy's or something. And so I remember sitting there thinking like, you know, maybe selling, you know, maybe selling just wasn't for me. <laughs> you know, like maybe I just wasn't born a salesperson type of thing. And I remember when the manager picked me up that day, he popped in a Tony Robbins CD that like completely changed my viewpoint of selling anything. And, and I know 22 years ago, like people listen to these like round things called CDs. Yeah. It's really yeah. weird, you know, to talk about. And Tony said something like this, I could be butchering it, but he said, you will fail. Like you will fail if you don't learn the right skills necessary to succeed. Mm. You will fail for simply not learning the right skills. Now he goes on to saying there that everyone is taught skills, but the people who fail 
are the ones who are not taught the right ones. And it like, when I heard that, I don't know what happened, but it was like a light bulb moment. It was like, I'd say divine intervention <laughs> from the heavens that there were differences in skill levels. I mean, as a 21 year old kid, yeah. you just don't really think about it, right? That there's some skills that give you a much greater result than other skills. Well, I mean, when you're in the school system growing up, it's it's all about yeah. everyone learns the same exact skills, mm. you know? Hey, we gotta do math. If you're a little yeah. better at math, then you can go to the next level of math. But right. hey, these are the basic skills everyone needs to be yeah. a good member of society. Yeah. They, so, they don't teach you sales yeah, or business well, or yeah, money. They don't teach you how to balance a checkbook or anything. You yeah. know, you don't know how to write a check. I remember getting to college. I'm like, mom, I, I, I don't, how do I open up a bank account? It's yeah. completely lost. And so I, I kind of, you know, at that point I was like, I'm going to have to acquire these skills. Like I didn't have a choice at that point. I'm just like, what am I going to do? Like I have to do something. I have to make money. And so at the same time I was doing that, my major, like I was telling you before, was behavioral science and human psychology. So you were going to school while you were trying to sell. Yeah. Cause you'd only sell in the summers, those yeah, summer programs right. you'd sell for like four months. It'd be like the end of April when school got out to like September 1st. Right. And you just try to make as much money as you can. It's like a bull run. Yep. And then the other, that was their whole pitch. Make a ton of money in the summer so you can focus what, on what your What do grades. those companies do when you, do they just expect people to quit college because they're making so much money? And then, Eventually you do. You know, yeah. I, I got up. So, you know, I was making like a hundred grand a month. Wow. So what do you do? As, you know, <laughs> Why would you go back to school? Well, uh, obviously not. So when I first started, I sucked, right? But right. so I got into this. So, you know, I'm learning behavioral science at the same time from my professors. And I'm learning from my professors that the most persuasive way to communicate is over here. Because behavioral science, I won't give the scientific terms for it, but it's really the study of the brain and how human beings make decisions. Why do they go left instead of going right by just seeing that sign? What causes, what inputs in their brain that forces them to go that way? Or why do they say no instead of yes? Which is really selling 101. It's really persuasion, right? I find it so interesting that really hardly any sales trainers really understand the way the brain makes decisions. I mean, you should kind of know that, right? If you're going to be a salesperson or sales trainer, you're going to be really successful. And so my professors were saying the most persuasive way to communicate was here. One of them is Robert Caldini, who I just told you about, wrote yep. the book, Persuasion, uh, you know, Influence. Those are huge books. He's a leading behavioral science uh, scientist here in the US. And I was learning social dynamics and all those things. Now, the sales gurus in their books, they were saying the most persuasive way to communicate was here. So you're talking about exact opposite, Ryan. So talk about a 21-year-old kid. You're like, they're saying it's here. Gurus are saying it's here. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, how? Do, okay, I'm like, how do I? Because I'd, you know, I'd use some of these techniques. I'd make a few sales here and there, but it's more of a numbers game. Right. It's like the harder I worked, I'd make more sales just out of pure numbers because I'd find Volume. easier yep. people to sell, right? And so I'm like, how do I... How do I take what I'm learning from behavioral science? Because it wasn't like there were sales training programs with the right questions to ask, with the right tone, with the right time, and how to probe and clarify and how to get the prospect to open up emotionally. Like that's not taught. It's more like theory and little tips and techniques. Well, and also, wasn't it just like your company is your sales trainer? Like True. that's kind of it. But I was always a person that always went the opposite way from what everybody said was the right way. I don't know what it was like something I was born with or something, but I would like somebody would say, do this, and I'd be like, why? Yeah. Why should I do that? Like, maybe I should do this. Mm -hmm. So I was always questioning everything that people were taught me because I'm like, maybe there's a better way. I was always thinking like, what, how do I do this better than anybody else has maybe done it before, if that makes sense. And so, I, you know, I'm like, how do I take this theory of behavioral science and wrap it into a step-by-step -step sales structure with the right questions, with the right tone? And that's what I started doing. I started learning techniques and certain questions and how to use my tone that worked with human behavior 
uh, rather than work against it. And all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about within a few weeks, I was getting my prospects, like I was telling you earlier, to do all the work. Mm-hmm. I was learning how to get them to sell themselves. I was getting them to overcome their own objections. I was getting them to pull me in, whereas the gurus are saying, you got to do all the work. You got to do all the selling. You got to do all the hustle muscle. You got to, you know, selling is a numbers game. You got to push and pressure. And overnight, selling became so well, with, very, with very getting easy. prospects yeah. to, you know, basically do the work themselves. Does mm. it just simply come from, well, I know it's not simple, but does it come from asking them the right questions versus just telling them you need to do this thing? Well, I'll ask you this. If so I'm you are a, asking me the right if question. If I'm a salesperson, <laughs> if I'm a salesperson, okay. most salespeople say, hey, let me ask you a question. And then they ask the question. Right. But how, do, how does the prospect view that? Yeah, you need Spe- to say, can I ask you a question? It's like you're, you're plowing them over, especially right. with an A-type personality. What you're going to do psychologically with an A-type is you're going to trigger resistance because they're like, whoa, you didn't ask me permission. But if I simply lean in like, hey, can I, can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. See how my tone is a curious tone? Your tone is how your prospects interpret the intention behind what you're saying or asking. Right. So my tone, if it's a curious tone, they're interpreting that like, oh, he's generally curious. And they're always like, yeah, what's going on? But if I'm like, hey, let me ask you a question. And then I just ask. Right. It's like what they do, most of the times they stay surface level and they'll give you vague or generalized answers because they feel like you're trying to sell them with that question. Got Whereas it. when I'm asking with a curious tone, they generally feel I'm genuinely curious. Mm. Whole different way of looking at communication. Yeah. Bunch of boring stuff. No, I love it. And, and yeah. the people who watch this podcast... I mean, they're all entrepreneurs. A lot of them are salespeople. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of people who just have sales jobs and they want to learn real estate. And so they're sure. making a ton of money and they want to yeah. invest it. We train a lot of a lot of people that that uh, are in your industry that like, you know, go out and try to get homes, you know, buy them for like smaller amounts, like wholesaling, yep. you know, flipping them short term, long term, sub to all that kind of stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Love that industry. It's a great industry. No, it is. Amazing yeah. industry. And great for all the sales guys who don't know what to do with all the money they're making. Valid. Yeah, that's valid. That's one of the things that I've seen is, uh, you know, I got asked to speak at a door to door event is funny. And mm. I was like, why do you want me to speak at a door to door event? Mm. I don't do door to door. Like, I'm not one of these guys. Sure. You know? Yeah. And they're like, well, all these guys are making a ton of money selling solar and yeah. whatever they're selling. And yeah. they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you could see you could tell them what to do with it. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. No, it's true. Like, you know, back in the day, the pay scales are much larger in like alarms than they used to be when I was selling. I mean, you're talking about 20 years ago and even solar. Solar is one of the biggest. Solar is going crazy. Would you say that's like the biggest one? I'd say the two. Okay. This might get me in trouble. So we train 158 different industries. Okay. We have salespeople in those industries that, you know, make 30 grand a month, 50 grand a month, 80 grand a month, 100 grand a month plus in a ton of those industries. Right. So by me saying the couple of industries I see the biggest results from does not mean everybody out there disclaimer disclaimer that the other industries are not amazing but two of the biggest industries because we have an insider's view because when we when we see testimonials and stuff from our clients from different industries we kind of we keep track of all yeah you're like wow there's a lot of people yeah so like the two biggest industries where we see the most money made are solar yep and life insurance and now, a lot of people are like, life insurance? Like, you got to go bug your friends and family? No, not necessarily. You get leads. You get leads of people looking for, you know, mortgage protection. You know, if they pass away, their mortgage gets protected or, you know, their mortgage gets paid off. You've got final expense insurance. I mean, there's some, I mean, would, would you say trillions that those, of dollars in that well, industry. Both of those industries obviously are massive 
oh, industries, huge. right? So it's yeah. like they're not niche. They're and, very huge. And I always find like, you know, because one of the a big industry we train as well is like high ticket stuff. Yeah. And all these high ticket people, and I love them. Uh, one of the four industries I sold in was high ticket at the very end before I uh, retired and started seventh level. But they're all like, they think that high ticket is like the biggest industry. They're like, it's a $3 billion industry. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> life insurance is like a $3 trillion industry. <laughs> yeah. Like you guys are playing chess. Like you, you know, yeah. you're, you're playing checkers. Like they're playing huge. chess. Like it's huge. Would you say that solar, I mean, obviously it's a huge industry, both of them. Yeah. Compared to direct response or whatever. Sure. Um, but would you say that these guys are making so much money because of mm. their own sales or because mm. they're building downlines in those industries? It depends. When I say that we have clients like, let's say in life insurance that make 50, 100 grand a month, I'm not talking about people that are just building downlines. So we have people building downlines that make three, $4 million a year. I'm talking about individual salespeople that are just quite literally selling. Just their product. one-on-one yeah. -on -one selling. We got solar salespeople that go door to door that make 150 grand a month just selling. Now they'll have a couple of appointment setters that set up appointments and yeah. they go around like bam, bam, yeah, bam. Yeah, they're building bam, their own little team. But they're on a little team. They'll have like two appointment setters, but they're the ones in there closing. I mean, we've got, you know, we like Power Solar. It's the largest solar uh, company in the United States. They did like 800 million last year. I mean, they're massive, yeah. massive companies. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's a huge industry and solar's obviously not going anywhere. No, it it's ain't good. It's, it's only yeah. going to keep getting it's bigger. Get big. So going back to the story, I mean, you, you work for this company, you're 21 yeah. years old, you yeah. start realizing, Hey, I don't know that I believe the status quo of how to sell. Yeah. yeah. And what happens? I, well, I just, see, I just realized like, I'm, 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 you know, I always say this, like I'm no one famous. I'm just a person who very early on decided that if I wanted to get to a much higher level financially in my life and I'm in sales, that I can't sell the way everybody else is selling. I can't stay in I'll the, get the same results because I'm going to get the same result. The average salesperson in North America makes 57,000 a year. So I can't stay yeah. in the status quo. I had to acquire a much more advanced sales ability. So I, I learned very quickly that I couldn't do what everybody else was doing. So how did you learn? So I learned from behavior science human okay. psychology. So I started learning techniques that would work with human behavior that got my prospects to let their guard down and pull me in. And like I said, overnight selling became very, would, very Would easy, you very say profitable. that that is, you know, this NLP type stuff or? No, I mean, I like NLP. Um, I would say it's completely, it's a lot different. NLP is more like speakers use it on stage and they'll be like, what is NLP I, for those? I, I, I don't I, even really know neuro, what it is. I just know like Tony Robbins neuro does li it. Linguistic <laughs> programming. Yeah. So they'll get up there and some of it works. Like you'll see Tony, like I can, every time Tony like goes in and does things, you're going to notice he uses verbal pauses, verbal cues. It's all for psychological reasons. A lot of people can't see that. Like I go, like I watch him on YouTube. I'm like, okay, right there. He just verbal paused there. And that caused that lady to cry like emotionally. What's a verbal pause? So verbal pause is like, if I'm saying like, okay, but why, why look at this now? See between look and now I pause two seconds. Okay. But I'm not understanding like why, why look at this now though? That verbal pause in a human brain causes you to actually think deeper about what I just asked you. If I said, well, why look at this now though? It's in one ear, out the other. It's too fast. Yeah. So verbal pausing, like I'll give you an example. Like Tony Robbins does a lot of verbal pauses. Uh, I'm not into politics. You know, everybody has their sides or whatever. I'm kind of like right in the middle. I just focus yeah. on sales training. Like I'm yeah. just in the middle. You guys fight it out. But somebody that was really, really good at communicating was President Obama. And when you heard him speak, he was really good at verbal 
pausing, yeah. slowing his voice down and his tone. And he would say, he would say sentence and he would stop like three or four seconds and then keep talking. And people are like, oh, great communicator. So is Tony Robbins. Verbal cues or sounds out of your mouth. Like if you're sitting here talking to me and I'm sitting here, uh-huh, ah, right. Now you're not gonna do that every two seconds. I'm exaggerating. But every 10, 12 seconds, it shows the prospect that you're present in the right. conversation. And when they feel heard, they feel understood. Mm. And human beings emotionally attach to people who feel understand them the most. Human beings will always buy from the salesperson or the company who they feel understands them the most. Mm. And so just by using verbal cues, uh-huh, right. Oh, I see. But if I've just sat here like this, yeah, <laughs> you just shaking your head. You don't yep, feel yep. like I understand you, right? It's just like if you know if you're you, you know if you're married, right, and you're you're sitting there talking to your wife and you're really present in that conversation, she feels that you understand her, right? So she emotionally bonds with you. So what you're doing, the same thing in sales, but salespeople, they, for some reason, they, it's like transactional. Like, here's what I always say. Like, if you wanna be a top 1% earning salesperson, you wanna make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in commissions, if not more. Even if you wanna make multiple seven figures a year in commissions as a W2 or 10 salesperson, you have to view selling as collaborative. It's you working with the prospect to help them find and solve problems they didn't even know they had. Most salespeople have been trained to view selling as adversarial. Mm. You against the prospect, trying to win them over, manipulate them, pressure them so you make money. But that's what average salespeople do. That's why they don't make that much money. Right. They have to play the numbers game. You know, I always, I always, this is my thing. You know, people are gonna be like, no, it really is. But when I hear sales trainers say like, and I'm not crying, by the way. I actually have dry syndrome. Oh, really? You know, when I go to do keynotes, I tell everybody, like, eventually, like, now, if I pull out a Kleenex and I wipe my eyes off, it's not because I'm crying, even though I love you. It's because I have dry syndrome <laughs> and my puncture plugs are closed. So I have tear ducts that don't work very well. And so when I hear sales trainers say that, oh, selling is a numbers game, like, just work harder, call more leads, get more no's, that's going to lead you to a yes. I'm like, how does that give you any competitive advantage as a salesperson? Basically, what they just told you is, well, my training doesn't really work that well, so right. you're just going to have to work harder. Sorry. <laughs> you know. So in my mind, selling is a skills game. Yeah. We talk it's, about that with business a lot, too. Yeah. It's like, yo, if you want to increase your revenue, yeah. you either can re increase your conversion, aka get better skills. at sales, yeah. or you do more volume. Yeah. Like one of the, But if you do both- yeah. You're going to do really exactly. good. Exactly. It's like marketing, right? So marketing, you're always trying to get your lead customer. You should. But if you're like, oh, it's just a, it's a numbers game. We'll just spend as much as we can. Well, eventually right. you're going to go out of business, right? Right. But salespeople don't look at that. And it's not their fault. That's what they've been forced to, to believe. It's not their fault, but it is their problem. Right. And so selling is a skills game. Yeah. Focusing on each conversation and the quality of that conversation. So I started learning that when I was on the doors, I'm like, all these other people like going through the doors, knocking 200 doors a day. I'm like, I want to talk with seven people and I want to sell four. Yeah. And I'm going to focus like, on, I'm gonna work on conversion conversation. Yeah. That way I don't have to work 12 hours a day. I can work six and make four times more than anybody else. Right. And so it's, it's kind of like this analogy. Like if you're, you like basketball, NBA, yep, yep. Steph I'm a LeBron Cur guy, Steph Curry. Yep. Okay. Curry. What would have happened if Steph Curry thought basketball was a numbers game? Hey, it's just a numbers game. Just shoot as many threes as you can. I mean, you'll hit <laughs> one here and there. Yeah. If he thought it was a numbers game, he would have never made his high school basketball team. No, Steph Curry 
he views basketball as a skills game. So he's focused on his technique and improving his technique day in and day out. Imagine what salespeople would be like. How successful companies and business owners would scale if each salesperson was focused on the skill of each conversation rather than going through the numbers. First of all, it drastically reduces your lead cost because you don't have to have as many leads. Yeah. You're, if, if you can convert twice, if you can double your conversions from the same amount of leads, it's just crazy to think about. But everybody, sales is a number game, number game, just blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, it's a skills game. You yeah. want to make a lot of money? It's a skills game. Right. Just different, just different way to look at it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is across all of my businesses and we're in multiple different industries mm. and, you know, each time we've tried to scale like marketing spend and stuff, there's yeah. always like, um, a decrease in conversion, right? Yeah, sure. It doesn't ever proportionally do it. Yeah. And, mm. you know, my theory is, you know, the sales guys end up mm -hmm. getting more leads obviously, and then they do less follow up. They, just trying to get through them all numbers. Yeah. yeah they so they, they, they go from quality to, Hey, let's get through the quantity quantity. It's yeah. You, as a business owner, you want to focus on the quality of each conversation. Cause that's where you're going to make the most profit margin for right. sure. hundred percent. Yeah. Hey, if you're looking to grow your real estate investing business, whether you're just getting started trying to get your first deal or you're trying to scale and get to the next level, you need to join us at Wealthy Investor. We've got events every single quarter that are absolutely crazy. We've got online coaching programs where we have Zoom calls, a community every single week. We give you everything you need to know to start your business, scripts, processes, SOPs, all of it. It's for you so that you can dominate. So if you wanna learn more about how to join our community and be mentored by me and some of our top coaches and be around other students who are absolutely crushing it, Go to WealthyInvestor.com, apply for a free call with my team. Once again, WealthyInvestor.com, apply for a call today. So you end up learning how to do all, you know, this, these sales techniques and you sure. get better over the years. And then yeah. you start working for other companies along the way. Yeah. I was in four different industries. So I got out of alarm sales. So I was making about a hundred grand a month that, but it's only, you only do it four months a year. So you make 400 grand, but as a 400 college grand kid, in a summer. 22 years old. Yeah. <laughs> college kid. So my senior year, so I never actually graduated college. I have 11 credits left. I walked out my last semester of school because I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I made 400,000, like 450,000 last summer. My professor that's teaching me business, yeah, you know, probably made a third of, is making a third of that, right? So I just kind of walked out. because I, I know I'm going to be in sales. I'm going to be in sales leadership. Like there's, what, what am I doing? I'm just wasting my time. And so after I did that, I got into B2B sales, something like uh, high-end debt relief services to more SMB, some enterprise level companies. Okay. Uh, got up to, it says on my bio, but I got up to about uh, about $3 million a year in commissions. Mm. That was nice. But I was working year round. Yeah. What, what so, would you say is the difference? Because I've, I've talked to a lot of enterprise sales guys and B2B yeah. guys. Yeah. And I've never been in that world. I've yeah. always been in the B2C world. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. What what's the difference when you're selling that? Yeah, level? there there is a difference. Like, uh, luckily for me, it it helps our clients because out of the four industries I sold in, two were B two C, two were B two B. So yeah. I understand the nuances. I just I just understand the difference. So B two B, it's a longer sales cycle. Now that doesn't mean it have to be as long as most salespeople cycles because the reason why it's so long is because they don't know how to build a gap from where the prospect is. We call that their current state to where they want to be. We call that their objective state. Mm. The gap can only be built by you, the salesperson, with your questioning ability and your tone that causes the prospect to find problems in their mind they didn't even think they had, right? So in B2B, you're not going in for like a one-call close. Like if you're selling what you're doing right now, like you know, you're selling like a, let's say a real estate training program, yep, yep. you might have somebody that triages them 
yep. sets them up with a closer, and then that's it. It's a one call, kind of like, well, almost a two call close, but pretty much a one call close. Yeah. That's most B2C. There are some B2Cs, two call close, but B2B, especially if you're selling enterprise, some sales cycles, depending on the price of what you're doing, could be 18 months. You mm-hmm. know, we train a company called OC, uh, o, uh, OT, o, OC Tanner, which is they only they they do like they come in and they they build culture in enterprise companies. So they will only take a client on if they have at least 10,000 employees. God. Like they don't mess with the small stuff. And you're talking about billions of dollars. How to build culture in companies and awards so they don't lose their top executives to competing companies. I mean, you're talking huge industry, but they have an 18-month silo cycle. We took them down to about 9 months. Wow. But a lot of it was because they just were like going to meeting after meeting, lunch after lunch just BSing and it was like they never knew how to build a gap right. to where these companies really wanted to be. So we train a lot of medical device sales companies, Got it. things like that. So uh, pharmaceuticals, we do that. So it's really about shortening the sales cycle and understanding how to get to other decision makers and influencers in that organization. Because a B2C, you're talking to the man or woman decision maker, right? Maybe you, the spouse. Maybe just one person, yeah. one lager, as we called them in alarms, or two people. But in B2B, you're talking, I'm not talking really, SMB, you might only have one You got to go owner. talk to the CMO. Yeah, the it CFO. depends on what you do. Yeah. And here's the thing that most, most salespeople don't understand that transition from B2C to B2B is they'll get on with a C-level executive and that C-level executive says, oh, I'm the decision maker. But that's They're not right. reality true. Forbes magazine said the average the average size company. We're only talking about enterprise. The average size company has six point seven decision makers and or influencers that decide on every vendor. Six point mm. seven. So if you don't know how to navigate in that organization and ask the right questions to find out who the other decision makers are, now you can't ask a lot of B two B sales be like, "Who's who's the other decision makers besides you? Who's the actual person?" Yeah, and you can't do that because it's too abrupt, and most people will try to push you back because they try to protect everybody else. Right. Okay. But if I'm like, who? So let's say that this, you know, X Y Z. Let's say we're selling SaaS or you know some software. Let's say X Y Z software gets installed. Who else? does this impact in your organization? See, that's kind of a, a, a way around that where I'm basically asking them who the other decision makers are, but I'm saying, let's say that we come in here and we do X, Y, Z and install this. Who else does this impact right. in the organization? And they're like, well, we know the CTO is going to want to know about it. And so now I'm like, okay, he might not be a decision maker, but he's going to influence this. Yeah. And so, and you, with B2B- I still got to get him on board. Exactly. With B2B, you have to, you have to figure out what motivates them? Because for the C-level executive, they might not be motivated by company revenue and profit like the CEO is. They might be motivated because they want to get promoted in the organization. So you have to understand, it, there's all these different layers. That's why they call it complex selling. So you have to understand the different layers of that company and what motivates each influencer. Because mm-hmm. let's say that you're selling software, cybersecurity, and the CTO has is not a person you've met yet but you know they're going to influence that and they can't make the decision on it, but you know they're going to influence it because maybe they feel that the CEO is going to look down at them because now they had to bring this outside vendor in to do their job. Mm. So they might try to nix that deal, even though it would solve massive problems for the company. It might make them look bad. It might make them not get promoted. It might look like they're a bad department head leader. So there's all these things that you have to be able to navigate. And if you don't, you'll just get punched in the face mm. pretty quick. Yeah. No, but you can make sense. a, I mean, even in B2C, you know, I, I sold in B2C as well as making, you know, over $2 million a year in commission. So it's all about human behavior and getting the prospects to emotionally 
attach their needs to actually wanting to solve something. Like, mm. let me, can I ask? Can I ask you something, yep. Ryan? Okay, DJ voice. <laughs> the uh, I like I liked your tone. The playful voice is Chris. It Voss was very curious. Say. You know, another person to really follow that understands human behavior is Chris Voss. You ever read his book Split the yep. Difference? Yep. Yeah. So he'll talk. If you read, if you listen to his audio, he'll talk about how you can influence with your voice. Most salespeople just everybody's taught in sales like, oh, your your nonverbal and your verbal skills are seventy three percent of the sale. Well, okay. How do I do that then? Nobody knows how to teach the right tone. And so um, so with, with tonality, it's like there's, I always say there's three types of tone. I'm going to get back to that question I want to ask you. So there's three types of tone. There's that curious tone where you're like, okay. And I think you, uh, you also do like social media, like uh, teach people how to do social media. Yep. yep. So let's say that you're talking to a small business owner. One of my first questions would be called what we call situation question. So I might lean in with a curious tone and say, now, maybe walk me through. What do you guys do now to generate new leads and clients just so I have more context? See, that's a curious tone. Okay. Mm -hmm. They interpret my intention of that question as like, oh, they're asking me, like, what do I do now to generate new leads and clients? So they open up. There's other questions in that sales process that require more of a skeptical or challenging tone. Now, you can't have a skeptical and challenging tone in the first couple minutes of a conversation because you haven't, you don't have any trust or credibility. You haven't earned the right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But if I get three-fourths of the way into that discovery call, I might lean in and ask what we call a consequence question that gets them to defend themselves. Notice how yeah. I'm getting them to do the work, defend themselves on why they need to change and why they need to change now rather than push it down the road. So I might lean in like, what are the ramifications if you don't do anything about this? So what happens if you don't do anything about this and you keep getting these lower quality leads to your people and sales keep going down? Mm -hmm. What would happen to your job at that point? Then I go into a concern tone. So I start off skeptical, like getting them on that emotional high and I end with a concern tone and they interpret that as he's concerned for me that I might lose my yeah. job. And so that emotionally opens them up. Mm. Just a little example there. No, no, that's good. So what, what were you gonna ask me? Does anybody out there know what I was going to ask Ryan? I, I don't even know. I can't even remember. Let's keep talking. It'll, right. it'll, 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 it'll it's come like back riding a bike. It'll come back to me. Yeah. So, you know, you, you start the, or, you know, you do this for, you said 20 years, like I, working I, for other people. I, yeah. So I had a 17 year sales career yep. and I retired in 2017. Okay. Took a year off. I didn't know what I was going to do. I also invested in real estate. I have a bunch of Airbnb properties. Okay. I heard you have like 500. That's insane, yeah, man. Yeah, we've got. Jeez, them. I'm not even close here. I'm, I'm trying to catch up with you, man. Well, we do syndication, so I need to get a your easier. program. Yeah. sign me up. There so you go. Sign me up. I'll ask um, you the right question. You ask so, me the right so why question. do you want more Airbnbs? <laughs> so why what look would you at, do? So why look at this now? Like, why not push it down the road like unsuccessful investors would? <laughs> exactly. See, yeah. consequence. Okay, but why look at this? See, starting off my what challenge it. Why look at doing this now? Like, why not push it down the road like unsuccessful companies would? Well, the reason why we need to do it now is, so, see how I'm getting them to do the work? Let me- before, So much easier to sell. So- Just peaceful. I, I want to know how 7th Level started, but yeah. to, to go under your point, it's funny because my sales guys, yeah. they laugh at me mm. because my selling technique is more, I would guess, authoritative. Mm. And it's just like, guys, like if you followed me for a while, like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. let's roll. Sure. And it's just straight to the point. But yeah. to the point of we've built up trust for so many videos and brand, hours. And, yeah, exactly. If your salespeople did that, they'd get no, slapped they'd be, in the yeah, face. Yeah, they, it ain't going to work the for difference, them. That's yeah. Right. And so we actually have um, a trainer coming 
today, actually, mm. um, teaching us about how to sell better at events and mm. everything else. Yeah, from stage, right? From stage. Okay, good. Yeah. And he was talking about a concept you just mentioned of like, hey, they're here today. Mm. And, you know, you got to get them here before you can ever you make have a to build pitch. a gap. Yep. And he called it the gradient. Mm. You have to go up the gradient to okay. get there. Yeah. And, like um, you know, one thing that I've thought a lot about now is the gradient because mm. I've always been like straight to the point. I'm like, yeah. you need to do this. Like, mm. and he's like, you got to stop using these you statements. Yeah. Need. Yeah. Cause that comes across as an, it, it actually, I mean, you have, you have the brand, right? So you can kind of get away with it. Right. There's, there's things that he's going to show you that will elevate that yeah because when you say you need to do this they're interpreting that coming from you it's your opinion and nobody yeah. gives a rat's butt right. about your opinion they don't care about themselves and what made me think about it was what you just did in your example of like mm -hmm. well if you, you know unsuccessful investors would wait and push it off yeah and that's kind of what he was saying too of like can i give you a question to use okay i'll help you out so you know which is more risky for you guys is it more risky for you guys to get the funding together you automatically log into the portal, you acquire the skills, you start investing in properties next week, or is it more risky for you guys to do nothing at all, staying in the status quo, the problems stay the same, and nothing ever changes? Mm -hmm. Which is more risky? Exactly. See, that's it's another gap question. And so you slow down that tone. I mean, and here's, what, here's the body language that you have to use that. So let's say you're on stage, you use your hands. Like if you're on Zoom or in person, you use your hands when you're selling too. So you guys tell me like, which is more risky for you? Now notice I'm going into that concern tone. I'm concerned for them, which I am, because here's the thing. Everybody in that, that's watching you has problems, right? Right. Your solution solves those problems. Mm -hmm. It's gonna get them the result they want, but it's how we communicate that to them that's gonna you know, get them. So you guys tell me like, in your mind, which is more risky for you? Is it more risky for you guys to get the funding together and you also get the funding together you log into the portal, you start getting trained and you're doing deals in two weeks from now, like you're making money. Yeah. Or is it more risky for you to do nothing at all? The problem stays the same. You keep looking out there for ways to do this and you keep losing money and nothing ever changes. Mm. Which is more risky? Or you could even say, which is more expensive and do the same thing? Which yeah. is more expensive and do the same thing? And See, it's funny because I, I tell people that with my story, you know, the, the, the one minute story is back in 2015, mm. I yeah. flipped my first house okay. and, you know, I'd saved up 10 grand yeah. and that was a lot. Yeah. And I still needed, you know, 40 grand to go and sure. get a down payment, flip yeah. it and all this stuff. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to max out all my credit cards yeah. and get the money. Yeah. And so I maxed them out and, yeah. you know, the flip worked out and made 25 yeah. grand. But yeah. the story I always tell, because this actually did go through my mind was mm. that what's more risky? Mm. Is it more risky for me to not do this yeah. and then just keep staying with the status quo? And Nothing like, changes. I know what it is going to be. Yeah. What you have now. Yeah. <laughs> or do I take a shot? Yeah. And if it works, then yeah. dude, this is yeah. going to be amazing. Yeah. If it doesn't work, yeah. I still learned a ton mm. and maybe I broke even. Mm. Or in the worst case, let's just say everything hit the fan and went wrong. Yeah. And I lose the house or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I was so young that it was like, all right, whatever. Like I, I go bankrupt. Yeah. And then in a year I'm I'm back. Yeah. So to me, there was no like to do nothing was the far bigger risk. Yeah, hundred percent. See, 
it's that risky, which is more risky, which is more expensive. And it gets them to see like, oh my gosh, it's so much more expensive if I don't do this. Right. So now it's their idea. See, that's called internal persuasion. So most sales training teaches you to push and pressure and it's your idea. But the problem is as soon as that prospect, as soon as you leave their house, you leave Zoom, you leave the phone, you leave the event because it was your idea and you forced it on them. That's why so many salespeople have high chargebacks, high cancellations, you know, they'll sell solar and it, you know, it's a month to get installed and half of them cancel. It's because they're externally persuaded and external persuasion wears off. It's just like if you go to a motivational seminar and you get really pumped up and you're like, yeah, I'm going to change the world. And then you come back three days later, your thinking goes back to the same because you didn't internally persuade yourself. So internal persuasion, we call internal tension is much different than sales pressure. Sales pressure is you forcing on. Internal tension is asking, you know, just a few of those questions we talked. There's more to it, but I'll just give an example, but asking those questions with the tone that causes the prospect to internalize their own answers. Mm. You're like the facilitator taking them on this journey. You're like just leading them. I'm not this telling way. you what to do. Exactly. It, if you come to the conclusion that this is good for you, yeah. but that's going to be based on how I lead. Yeah, it's how you do it. So it's it's it. The prospect feels like they have full control, but in all reality, who has control? You do, right? Because you're the facilitator. You're taking them us on this journey, and they feel comfortable about it. They actually feel, and so you get them to feel so much internal tension by creating this gap from where they are. Like I said, we call that their current state to where they want to be. We call that their objective state. Now, what's the gap? The gap in between is determined by your questioning ability that helps the prospect find problems they didn't realize they have. And this is one thing that I always tell to salespeople. Most of your prospects, when you initially first start talking to them, don't even realize they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, they might think they have a problem, but they don't really understand the depth of the problem. Am I right? It's like Steve Jobs says, most people don't know what they need, right? (laughs) I have to to show them what they, they don't know. Your prospects, I tell you, even if they show up on a booked inbound call on Zoom or in person, they know they kind of have a problem, but they don't know the depth or how bad it is. They don't understand the consequences of what happens if they don't do anything about solving that problem. And once you learn advanced questioning, uh, you know, not only like we help salespeople not only find one problem, yeah. but we help them find two or three or four or maybe five other problems a prospect didn't realize they had, which builds such a massive gap in their mind mm. that they feel so much internal tension that they want to change. What's the biggest driver of change in a human being? It's pain. Yeah. Right? Pain drives change. You always hear like, no pain, no sale. I mean, it's a good gimmick, but like, what does that mean? How do you get the prospect to feel pain? Just because you have a bunch of questions doesn't mean the prospect's just gonna open up and tell you everything because yeah. they know what you're doing. So uh, now you're getting me thinking of how I was, how to say, so can I ask you a question? But I'm the podcast host, so it's implied. Can I, um, can I ask you something? Even saying, can I ask you a question? Most salespeople say that, uh-huh. but if you just change the word, can I ask you something? Yeah. It's just different and it comes in in a different manner with a pro- Yeah, what's going on? Right. So my question is with, I'm a marketing guy by mm, nature. I mean, sure. obviously marketing and sales go hand in hand, but yeah. for me, I'm like, well, if I do a good job of marketing, it makes the sale way easier. It does. So- Because there's more trust. Yeah. Right, they already trust you. They see you. When I, when I market, do you think that it's better to make people realize they have a problem in the marketing or mm. is it better to, you know, 
market the reward and the upside and the cool things like because we know that like you just said mm. pain is going to get people to it's buy a, it's a much higher emotional driver than reward exactly it just is it doesn't but, mean you can't throw in rewards right or should you know the mark like i know when you get to the sale you're going for the pain yeah but on the marketing side what do you think there's two things you like i said in every sales situation or every, I believe, a marketing situation, because we do all of our marketing internal in-house now. And since we've done that two years ago, we just went like this. Right. Instead of outside agencies, just in our brand, we just, it just went like that. And so even in marketing, we're helping see the pro, we're helping the prospect find problems that they might not realize they had. So I might get on there and I don't do it in a hypish voice. I do it like a regular voice, like I'm just training. Right, because mm-hmm. it lowers people's guards because they're used to everybody get on there like a hype man, hype yeah. woman, like yeah. you know, excited and stuff. So you sound like everybody else. I want to sound different. So what I'm doing in there is I'm I'm seeding doubt in their mind. So I might say, "Are you instead of uh, instead of me saying, are you sure you're asking the right questions?" I'm saying, "Are you a hundred percent sure you're asking the right questions?" Now it's hard for somebody to say, "I'm a hundred percent sure." But if I said, are you sure? They're like, yeah, I'm asking the right question. I'm sure. Yeah. But if I just tr- throw in that little 100% sure, that seeds doubt. Like, well, maybe I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> maybe I'm only 99% sure. <laughs> so see, I just seeded that little thing in there. It's just kind of an example. Like see, you seed things into their mind right. that they might not have thought before. Like when I'm doing a keynote, one way that I help identify with the office because they, you know, with, with the audience, because they'll get up there and they'll be like, you know, Jeremy Miner, one of the wealthiest paid commission only salespeople in the world made all this money, blah, blah. Well, now they're like, look it up. Well, he can do it. He must've been born that way. Like, oh, well, you know, so I go out there and I have to like go down like in a hero's journey, you know, like yep. Russell Brunson would talk about and like lower myself to their level because that's where I was at, probably yeah. way below anybody in the audience. They probably made more, yeah. more money than I was. And so I'll go in there like, you know, I'll say like, have you ever looked at your bank account and you notice you had more going out yeah. than coming in? Yeah. That's where I was at. And everybody's like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. See, after I do them, here's your, and, and it was reality, it was true. And so I have to identify with the audience to know that, you know, I always say this, you know, if I'm on stage, I'm like, hey, raise your hand if you were born out of your mother's womb with advanced questioning skills. <laughs> and everybody's like, no. I'm like, oh, so you weren't a born salesperson? <laughs> raise your hand if you were born out of your mother's womb with advanced tonality skills. And everybody's like, raise your hand if you were born with advanced objection handling and prevention skills. Everybody's like, stone cold. Like, you see, selling is an acquired skill. It's a learned skill. I, so, I was actually going to ask you that. If like, do you think anyone can become a great salesperson? Is it a born? Obviously, people have natural talent. See, I don't know about that. Um, You know, when salespeople say like, you know, I I remember I was doing this um, big keynote for a big pest control company a couple months ago in Charlotte. And this guy stood up. He's like, I'm a natural born salesperson. I got the gift of the gab. And he was brand new. It was for interns. They'd just been hired. He's like, I got the gift of the gab. And I'm like, that could be trouble. Yeah. Because the more you talk, the more you're, you're, the less you're going to sell. Right. Because you go over the product. You sound like a salesperson. The best salespeople in the world, the ones who make millions of dollars a year in commissions in any industry are the ones who hardly talk at all. Yeah. Who are in control by using their tone 
and asking questions that get the prospect to internalize their situation and why they've allowed the problem to still happen and want to do something about it. That's where the sale's made. Yeah. It's not even made in a closing line. Like so many sales people are like, well, how do I close? What's the best closing line? I'm like, well, I can give you some closing lines, but it's not like the prospect decides they're going to buy because you say, do you want the red car or the blue car? Yeah. It's no. not, that's not when they decide. They had already, If they say, I want the red one, that's because they'd already decided from the discovery yeah. part of the conversation. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is, so when I was going on seller appointments to buy houses yeah. and stuff, yeah. um, I learned that early on that, dude, I just ask questions. Yeah. And I would guess that it was probably like 90, 10. They talk 90% of the time. I talk 10. Yeah. And so I taught all my sales guys that too. I'm like, guys, mm-hmm. you got to ask the right questions. Like yeah. we're not, you don't just make an offer, mm-hmm. you know, you got to ask and figure out what's going on. Why mm-hmm. do they even want to sell their house? What are, yeah. you know, what's, what's, what's going to happen What's afterwards? driving the need? Because yeah. in your industry, it could be a divorce. Yep. Let's say that, you know, one of the, one of the spouses lose their jobs. Now they can't afford the mortgage. The, in, the interest rate goes up. Now they can't afford it. It could be a landlord who has tenants that just don't pay. And now they want to retire and move down to their, see their kids in Florida, their grandkids in Florida, but they're stuck here because the tenants don't pay and they're going to do all this work. So you're exactly right. It's not just finding why they want to do it, but it's finding out what's behind the why. Yeah. That's where most salespeople don't know where to go. And like I said, it's not their fault. Yeah. They're just never been trained how to do it. When do you get into uh, a term I've heard called like picture perfect, like Mm. I guess maybe future pacing of like, Hey, if yeah. we do this, yeah, like what? what so that's happen? getting them to see what their objective state is. Yeah. So you can't just help the prospect find all these problems where they're wallowing in pain and not be able to help them see what the future is going right. to look like. Once the problems are solved, it's twofold. We call those NEPQ. NEPQ stands for neuro emotional persuasion questioning. That's our methodology okay. Okay, from my behavioral science background. And so we call that solution awareness questions where they're starting to see and more importantly, feel what that future looks like once the pain is gone. So in what you're saying is here is like once the pain of not having that big mortgage payment on their chest where it's going to destroy their credit is gone, Yeah, what that looks like, what that causes them to feel. Now you can't ask cheesy questions like, how would that make you feel? That's okay if you can build up to that. Okay, but you, you being able to get that mortgage off of your shoulders where it doesn't destroy your credit. What would that do for you personally? See that verbal pause, okay? Lower my tone in a concerned tone. Oh gosh, it would help me. It would help me reduce so much stress. Hold, hold on, stress? See, most salespeople would stop. They just go to the next question on their script. I wanna probe off it. Anytime I hear an emotion word, stress? So anytime you hear an emotion word, I'll just give everybody like a technique. Anytime somebody says, I'm feeling tension, I'm feeling pressure, I'm feeling stress, I'm frustrated, I have anxiety, I'm worried, I'm concerned, I have stress. Worry? Yeah, and they'll just elaborate. Yeah. You don't even have to, you can say, how do you mean by worry? You could say that's a clarifying question or you can say, worry? Yeah. Now notice my tone though, worry? See, I'm concerned tone. They're like, oh gosh. And see, the more pain that you can get the prospect to feel the more they want to change. Pain drives change. Without change, there's no sale. So, you know, every once in a while, I have a salesperson that comes up after a keynote and they'll be like, Jeremy, I love this so much, but I'm just afraid to ask questions for my prospects to feel pain. I feel bad for them to feel pain. I'm like, well, if they don't feel pain, how are they going to want to change since pain is the number one emotion 
that drives change in a human being. So by you not helping them feel pain, they don't feel the need or urgency to change. And now you can't solve their problems. Yeah. And now they don't get where they want to be. I was definitely one of those guys who felt like that. Yeah. Um, just like I, I, you know, not wanting to be manipulative or I wouldn't want to be manipulative either, right? And you know, you you hear all these because you know before I ever got into the the quote unquote guru space and education yeah. space, yeah, I was like, dude, I don't ever want to be like those guys just doing these hard sells and you know, I wouldn't either, man. Yeah, Ooh. so nice. you know, it, it's cool to hear like you know, it, it, actually, you you brought up a guy Russell Brunson, right? Yeah, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on you know, his abilities of selling, but I'll tell you, he was the first guy I ever bought yeah. from, from stage. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. so this was back in 2018. Yeah. 10 X growth con. Mm. He has like this legendary performance on stage. He mm. sold like $3 million worth of stuff in an hour. Okay. Yeah. And I was one of the buyers. I was like, dude, that was like the best presentation I heard. Mm. I don't even know what roller coaster he took me I through. I can tell you exactly what he did. Yeah. And I was like, I, I was always a skeptic, yeah. never bought anything. I was like, I got to buy that. Do you know what he did? What do you do? He built in your objections into his testimonials. Yeah. So what Russell does, really genius, is, and we do the same thing in our virtual events, is he knows the objections that his audience is always going to have. We don't have the money. Uh, I don't have time to learn how to do this. Will it work for me? And so what he does is he'll show testimonials up there with people who had the same objection. And he goes like, yeah, just like, you know, Bill, he came up to me in an event and he said, I just don't have the time to do this. And then he goes through it and he's like, now look at Bill. He's did this or this. So he's subliminal. He's like putting, he's seeding in your mind. Yeah. Overcome the objection. Cause you can't do that one-on-one. Right. When you're on stage, you have to do it one to many. Yeah. So now you have to do different seeds. It's just a little bit of a different angle, but it's, it's just behaviorist. I don't know if Russell knows what he's doing, but that's what he's doing. Do you think Russell's a better salesperson or marketer? I would say marketer. I would say he would sell. Do you think he's a gifted salesperson too? I would say he has, um, he's learning like trial closes and different things that will work on stage. Doesn't work that well. He's not selling one-to-one. like One-to-one that doesn't work very well at all. Um, We would do it differently. You know, have you ever been to an event where the stage guy that's selling, he's like, uh, he he always says like, say I, or say yes, or all this time, all the time. You know what I'm talking about? It comes from like T. Harv Eker. Okay. The problem is, is that that's been around for like 30 years. And everybody that's been to an event knows what you're trying to do when you're right. like, what's what, do you know what I'm saying? What's that saying? They always say like, uh, if you agree with me, say I, or say yes. And they say it like every two or three minutes. <laughs> Cause they're like the more yeses, you know, I read this book that are like the more yeses you like, if you can get seven yeses in the presentation, you're going to have a 73.6% more chance of making that sale. Mm. But I'm like, well, according to who, like, <laughs> what, what behavioral science study shows that? Cause I've never read any. I thought that's what seventh level stand, stood th- for. That's what I'm saying. I'm just like, yeah, well, seven, we'll go into that if you want to. It's a whole, it's a spiritual thing, but um, it's like everybody, it's like, you know, and I know where that came from. It came from like a book and written in the 1950s by a sales trainer and just salespeople like copy and paste it in their book. And right. nobody even knows that what there's is. no evidence, right? There's quite literally no study that shows <laughs> if you get seven yeses in the sales presentation, you're 73% more likely to close. The sale. In fact, I look for no. Right. So if I'm on we, a cold call. We do call, that too. We try yeah. to push for a no. Yeah. So no is much better because like if I'm cold calling and if I said, are you open to X, Y, Z? A lot of people are like, no, because a prospect's conditioned to say no. Right. So if I'm saying, are you opposed to having a conversation around that? It's hard for them to say, yes, I'm opposed. <laughs> See what I mean? So I want no. No, I'm not opposed. What do you have? 
So just that little angle shift, like I'm going for no sometimes. Now I'm serious, sometimes I'm going for yes. But <laughs> at the sometimes, end. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's actually important to say, to get a no, because that actually gets them to pull you in. Right. So going back to the event, you know, Russell sold me at the event. Mm. You know, we're talking a little bit about events. Yeah. Um, with salespeople, this is something I've struggled with. Mm. I feel like a lot of our salespeople are very yeah. good. Um, they're they're doing a lot of the strategies you're talking about. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, if the if they're with you, they're gonna well, be better. We only right? give tips on on no, I know tips. Like, that's right. not the sales I know that process. you're you know seventh level like, is gonna was, go way we, we way do, more in like depth. on on uh, reels. I always say people are like, uh, I guess I got stopped in the airport last night. I was like, are you Jeremy Miner? Like I follow you on IG. I'm like, are you a client or you just follow me? Yeah. He's like, I just follow you. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, because we only give like like 0.00001% of our reels. Like our clients in your industry, they have everything. Like yeah, they're they're learning the sales process from A to Z. Right. You're learning like a quarter of Z. And that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> serious. No, I know. So <clears throat> with event sales, yeah. one thing that I Go feel back like, to the Russell thing. I, that was good. Yeah, well, with Russell, I mean, obviously he was selling one to many. Yeah. And yeah. he sends everyone to the back of the room. Yeah. They sign up. Yeah. They do the deal. Mm. With us at events, I've been to many events just like you have, right? And yeah. so I've seen salespeople in different scenarios, sure. right? So at this point in our events, essentially salespeople have been order takers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yo, go to the back if you want to do it. Getting the easy ones. And so they're getting the, the laydowns. The laydowns, yeah, right? for sure, yeah. And my problem is so many of them mm-hmm. are very good one-on-one. Yeah. And they're very good when they have an appointment set for it. Like the, Inbound I guess they're, they're trappers is yeah, what I would inbound say. Inbound leads, yeah. Yeah. A little bit different than outbound lead. Right. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, if I go, and I'm not saying this is the right way, but if I go to Cardone's event, mm. these guys are all hunters. Mm. They're just trying to go talk to people, make mm-hmm. a set. Now we can go into the whole depth of how that could be better. But my mm. point is they're out there doing outbound. Yeah. So like, what is the proper way to sell at an event versus like your typical setter closer you know, well, I think the, the person on stage, you know, if you understand human behavior, you, you got to get the audience to feel like you're doing them a favor by allowing them to pay you for what you're going to teach them. Mm. That's how you get the prospect to pull you in. If, if I, cause I've been to events where they're like, okay, it's the last call. It's your last chance to get in on the training. You don't want to miss this out. You're going to miss out so much money. It's like, it just sounds like a sales pitch. It sounds needy, right? Yeah. So all you're doing is you're lowering your status, right? right? You know, we call that status or rank framing. Okay. Uh, there's a good book um, called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. I don't ever heard of that. I'm going to write it down. Yeah, it's called Pitch Anything. He talks, he's, like I said, there's, there's very few people out there that teach sales that understand social dynamics and the way the brain works and human behavior. He's one of them. And he, he mainly just trains in the financial space, like how to raise capital. That's where he came from. He, that's all he does. Okay. And so he'll, he'll talk about like status or rank frame. I learned about it from Caldini. He calls it rank framing. He calls it status framing. It's basically the same thing. It's how to raise your status. So right when you come into a conversation, it doesn't matter if it's at an event, yep. right? Uh, if you're on stage or if you're trying to, he- you know, head hunt and go get people there, if you're calling an outbound lead or you're cold calling or inbound lead, you, right when you come into that conversation, you have to get the prospect to view you initially, at least as the same status as them. Now, most salespeople, because of how society looks at salespeople, society looks at salespeople as what? 
lower status automatically. Mm. So when you come into a sales conversation, you're already viewed at a lower status. Am I right? Like yeah. that's how no, Hollywood right. depicts salespeople as a low status, like try, somebody trying to yeah. sell me something, right? Yeah. Used car sales, no pun intended, we train lots of used car dealerships. So when you come into that conversation, you have to come in at least, and you have to use words that raise your status. Most salespeople use needy words that automatically lower their status. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, let's say if you're leaving a voicemail. Hey, John, you know, uh, and let's say it's somebody that didn't buy and you're calling them back a couple weeks later. Hey, John, I know we were talking about XYZ, you know, you investing in real estate, uh, you know, and I'm just calling you back. Can you please call me back when you have time? Well, those words right there, please call me back when you have time. All that does psychologically in the brain is lowers your status. Yeah, you're like Even begging. though even though your mom says to say please and thank you in the business world, can you please call me back when you have time? Yeah. All that does is it lowers your status because now you view your status and your time at a much lower value than theirs. And right. they pick up on that, right? So it's like if you walk, if you're selling B2B and you're raising capital or whatever, you walk into a boardroom and the CEO comes in and they're like, okay, guys, I've got 60 minutes. Just get, you know, do your pitch, leave his information. We'll tell you if we're interested. A lot of CEOs will do that and you go to boardroom. Most salespeople fall for it. Like, okay, I'm, I'm so grateful you guys allowed us to come in the conversation and you took the time to meet with us. Lower status, lower status. Yeah. And then they go into their pitch. They're like, no, I'm not going to do this. What I want to do is yeah. I want to flip that. Yeah. I want to maintain the status. I have to raise my status. So I might look at my watch and I'm like, oh, geez, you guys must have a lot of time on your hands. I've got 30, 35 minutes max before my next appointment with XYZ company. Should we go ahead and get started? Now, who just took back the status? Mm -hmm. I did. I'm almost like putting them down, but in a nice way. I'm not going to say, no, I'm not going to do that because they're just going to get defensive. I'm like, oh, now I say this in a playful tone. You have to be sarcastic here. You can't be like, oh, you know, oh, geez, you guys must have a lot of time on your hands today. I've got 30, 35 minutes max before my next meeting. Should we get started then? Bam, I just took the status back. Okay. Or let's say if like, I'll give you another example. This is a classic one. Let's say if you ever got... Well, I don't know if you, I bet your salespeople have. They get an email mm -hmm. from a prospect. They were trying to get to buy, you know, your different uh, training and stuff. Or they get a call and they're like, hey, we really liked your guys' presentation and what you had to offer, but we decided to go another direction. Keep in touch. <laughs> now, every salesperson's got in that industry. Or we decided to go with XYZ competitor. Keep in touch though. Yeah. And so most salespeople like will argue like, oh, well, they suck or that company's bad or you shouldn't go with them. And just the prospect digs their heels in and yeah, gets yeah. defensive. So what I have to do as a salesperson is I have to cause the prospect to let their guard down and re-engage. So I'm going to call them first because it's better if you can call because they can hear your tonality. You can hear their tone, you know, like that. So when I called them like, hey, John, I got your email. It's, it's not a problem. XYZ company, they're fairly decent. Now, I'm going to, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do after that. The reason why you don't want to say like XYZ company, they're horrible because they'll dig their heels in and you don't want to be too positive. And I'm like, oh, they're a great company because they're just, oh, I just made a good decision. So I just stay neutral. I'm in the middle. Yeah, they're fairly decent. Yeah. Fairly decent. Okay. They're fairly decent. Um, can I ask you something though? Right there. Sure. Go ahead. How, now pay attention to my tone. How can I communicate to you? that you might be making a mistake without you getting upset with me. Sure, what's going on? What did I just do? I caused them 
to disarm and let their their guard down. Now, notice the words they use. Look at my tongue. How can I communicate to you that you might be making a mistake without you getting upset with me? Nobody's ever going to say, I'm going to get upset with you. They're like, sure, go ahead. It's just a disarming technique to re-engage that prospect. How can I communicate to you that you might, might be is a neutral term. Yeah. Don't say that you are making a mistake because right. A-types will get defensive. That you might be making a mistake without you getting upset with me. Notice how I put without you getting upset with me. Oh, I'm not upset with you. What do you have in mind? I cannot tell you how many huge deals. Like I remember one deal with this enterprise company where I made a $93,000 commission. They emailed me that. I called them back and I used that question. And then like a week later, they wired the funds in. Mm. 93 grand commission as a salesperson. Now, you wouldn't do that. Would you do that on a voicemail or would you do that? On an email? Yeah. I wouldn't say, can I ask you something? I'm like, yeah, sure. They're, they're a fairly decent uh, company. Um, and then I would go like, how, how could I communicate to you? And I'd probably word a little bit. How could I communicate to you and, and Bob and XYZ, your VP, that you guys might be making a mistake without you getting upset with me, question mark, and then send. That's it. it. Too many people fluff out the email. We're really excited to work with you, blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah. and it doesn't work. Or let's say that somebody's trying to ghost you. I'll, I'll give you another one here. I've even done this in a reel before. So you're having somebody that ghosts you. You know, you've had a couple calls with them. You couldn't close them or whatever, and they're ghosting you. A lot of people email me back like, I haven't heard from you. We are really excited about doing stuff with you. We were a great fit. You're a good fit. And they like two paragraphs long. How many of those emails do you read? None. None. You look at the first sentence, you're done, right? Because you're right. busy. Well, all those people they're talking to are busy too. So they don't even read it. Right. So I'm going to go in there and be like, hey, John, tried to reach you a few times last week and left a few voicemails, but we didn't hear back. Dot, dot, dot. Scroll down one line. Where should we go from here? Question mark. Sent. <laughs> Where should we go from here? I'm telling you, you do that, you will get an instant response. Oh, yeah, I've just been busy or my mom went to the nursing home or we decided to go a different direction or whatever it is. And now you're back in the engagement. Yes. Yeah. But if I fluffed that email out and made it three paragraphs, I wouldn't even read it. I missed you. (laughs) Now notice in that email, I'm raising my status. Right. I'm not saying like, can you please get back to me? We've been trying to reach you. Try to reach you a few times. What do you do on stage when I guess my status would be higher than the prospect's status. That's why they're coming to the event. Would I try to lower down? <clears throat> you still want them to view you as the expert, the trusted authority, but you want them to view you as just like them. Right. That they can do what you do because you have the knowledge right. to do that. You're going to notice like even when we do-, we do So big, am I trying to raise them up to what yeah, I- Okay. Yeah. You got them- See, one of the biggest- They might- See, the thing is like- one of the biggest things that that I think speakers understand is that you're viewed at such a high level that they don't believe they can do what you do. Right. That's their objection. Not that they don't trust that you're awesome and you're yeah. the best real estate guy in the world, but like, I can't do what he does. Right. He's just different than me. He was born with those. There's something. So you have to, you kind of like lower down where you have that hero's journey that mm-hmm. I think he talks about, right? And that hero's journey that you were right there. The only thing that separates you from them is the knowledge that they can That's purchase the from you. That's the gap. Right. The, and it quite literally is, right? Like it really if you, is. If you really <laughs> listen at it, like every, you know, all of anybody that ever looked into your thing could be just as successful as you is that if they had your same knowledge. Yeah. Because that's what, you didn't have that knowledge and you weren't as successful. Once you gain the knowledge, that's why you're here. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in sales. Selling is an acquired skill. It's a learned skill. Nobody is born with advanced questioning, advanced tonality, <laughs> advanced objection, handling skills. Those are acquired skills that you have to learn. What do you think about sales guys personality wise? Because obviously mm. we're born with an our natural 
personality and sure everything. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you got guys who are extroverted and talkative. You got yeah. people who are introverted like myself mm. who, you know, I've had to force myself mm-hmm. to be social yeah. and, yeah. you know, talk to people. I'd sure. rather not talk to people at all. Yeah. So yeah. how do you deal with that? Well, in my because we have clients that are extrovert or introvert. There's also a, a middle one called ambienvert. I don't know if you're ambivert mm. or whatever. It's a, it, okay. I'm, sure in a book. It's an, I'm actually a, mi- a middle one. I can be extroverted on stage. I can go out there. Like I did a, a keynote uh, three, four months ago with 9,000 people. I just go out and I'm just, I do my thing. I just love it. You know, I'm not even nervous. And I could be an introvert where I go to dinner after with everybody and I'll just sit there and just. I guess then that's where I stand. Yeah, I'm kind of like both. Yeah. Right. So in my mind, like we have introverts. Like, you know, I had, I interviewed this client in our Facebook group the other day, Tony Bianco. He makes like 80 grand a month in commissions. He used to be a computer programmer. Wow. He's like, I was so scared to talk, but the training made so much sense for him because it was like step by step. Question, the right questions, here's the right tone. It's like a structure. So in his mind, the structure made selling really easy for him, you know, but he's an introvert. And then we have other, the biggest thing with extroverts that we have to train them is how to slow down. <laughs> Quit like you're telling talking people too much. nonstop. Like yeah. You have to literally, like we see so many salespeople that are extroverted that just talk fast. And when you talk fast, it makes people nervous yeah because typically people who talk fast or have anxiety they're hiding something especially if you're talking to somebody that's more elderly Mm. like if you call like final expense insurance leads you're talking to 60 year olds to maybe 80 and you're talking willing and spinning you i mean you're done it's over you can slow your voice down slow your cadence down because that causes the brain to think deeper about Mm. what you're saying and asking if you go fast they they can't process it you know you ever uh have you ever looked into like the brain or anything? I know no. I'm a weird guy. No, I've never done it. So there's science three, wasn't my thing. There's three parts of your brain. It's just what they teach in behavior science. There's three parts of your brain. There's some different names, but there's the reptilian part of your brain. Okay? I've heard of that. There's the midbrain, and then there's a neocortex. Okay, the reptilian part of your brain is you know been around forever. So you're talking millions, hundreds of thousands of years. Whenever the first humans were here, or whatever. Okay. And so that's your your defensive mechanisms <clears throat> in a human being. So, you know, 200,000 years ago, it's what causes fight or flight mode or survival mode, right? So the saber-toothed tiger lurks behind you. You're like, whoa, like survival mode. See, that's the first part of your brain that sees that, interprets that. Your prospects, human beings actually hear your sound, your voice, your tone before they can interpret your words. Mm. So that's why tone is so important right. in a sales process because they don't, if you ever got a call from a telemarketer, you quite literally, they talk for 30 seconds and you don't remember a word they said. It's because you were just hearing their tone mm. and the way they came across and that triggered you to say, I'm not interested. Right. That triggered your reactions. So the so I'll give you an example. Let's say that you're at a grocery store and you hear a woman screaming and you're, you're not hearing her words first. Your reptilian parts of your brain hears her tone, the sound. Then instantly it goes to your midbrain, okay, that interprets, that starts to interpret her words. Then your neocortex says, oh, that's the problem part of your brain. Oh, it's just a lady yelling at her kid to not get the strawberries. Right. And that can happen in like three seconds. Yeah. But it first goes into your reptilian part of the brain that hears the sound. And that triggers fight or flight mode. So typically within like the first seven to 12 seconds of any sales conversation you're going to be in or any, like if anything you do. selling anything doesn't matter your prospects subconsciously we can't even help it as a human being is picking up on your verbal and nonverbal cues based off your tone right and what you're saying and asking that triggers their brain to react in one of two ways triggers is a scary word if you're a salesperson if you come across aggressive now what i mean by that is like overly excited remember i was talking about like enthusiastic salesperson right if you come across needy right 
needy words. You can, you can tell when you're needy, right? You can feel it yourself. You feel it in your body. Yeah. And especially if you come across attached and you don't understand the right question, you don't understand how to use your tone, it causes the prospect to go, like I said, into fight or flight mode. And that's where you get like, oh, I'm not interested or, oh, can you call me back? I'm too busy or, oh, you know, I, I don't want to do that anymore. That is a triggered reaction. It's not like, here's the thing. I love salespeople, but sometimes we blame the prospect. You never want to blame the prospect. You want to look at like, what did I say that triggered them to react that way? It's not like the prospect woke up that morning. Like when that salesperson calls me at 3.15 today, after about 15 seconds, because their tone sounds <laughs> a little bit fast, I'm going to go into fight or flight mode and say, I'm not interested. No, they react to what you're doing. They're reacting to that. So when we train salespeople, we teach them how to come across more neutral, more right unbiased. Like, I'm not quite sure we could even help you. I don't know enough about what you're doing, right? Which lowers the guard. You're not going to say that the rest of the call, but in the beginning, I don't have any trust or credibility. I have to get them to let their guard down to become comfortable enough to open up to what I'm going to ask them. Right. Okay. So I have to come across more calm, more collective. Now that doesn't mean be boring. Right. That doesn't mean that you're not assertive. Like right now, when we're talking, we're talking in a conversation, but we're still assertive. We're collective. So you want to come across collective like an expert does, like an mm. authority does, right? You want to come across detached. See, experts are detached. They don't need the client. They're they tons of clients. They're right. just detached from the outcome. And you learn the right questions. You learn the right tone. What, that ha what happens is it causes the prospect's brain to become curious enough. That's the word, curious enough where they want to engage. Right. They want to open up because they feel like you might have something important. They don't know yet, but you triggered that engagement. Mm. And that's all the salesperson's skill level that does that. Yeah. And that's a learned skill. I love that. So what do you think about these sales? So going back to just event sales, since you know we, we've got an event coming up here in a couple of weeks. and I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> free consulting. Free consulting. There you go. I this love is, it. This is this is what the podcast is. It's all about free consulting. <laughs> free consulting. So yeah, I'm in, I I got to say it because I'm in Russell's. Uh, uh, we signed up for his like inner circle advanced uh, category kings or something. So when you pay like 150 or 200 grand a year or whatever, and there's like 20 people uh -huh. in there. Yeah. And I love it because I'm like I know exactly what he's doing because he gets everybody up there and they all share their ideas what they're doing for marketing. He's like taking notes. He's and taking stuff. notes. I'm like he's having this is brilliant. He's having people pay him 250 grand to take their ideas to build his business even more. It's brilliant. I love it. Yep. Well done. I always yep. I always like I'm like well done. Yeah. Russell, Bravo. Russell knows what he's doing. I love that. So <laughs> I g going back to like you know, a lot of times these guys are order takers. They're yeah. not going outbound. Mm. Like, I guess with technique, so mm. many of like what you're teaching is pure technique. Once they're like in the moment, how mm -hmm. much of what you teach is going out there and making it happen with like oh, hey, outbound, Hey, follow up. Yeah. Hey, you yeah. know, how does that, I mean, mo even most of our sales, the seven level comes from outbound mm. more than inbound for sure. We dominate in outbound, like mm. our, our SLOs and stuff crazy. Right. Um, but I mean, most sales industries outside of like the high ticket space yeah. mainly do outbound. Right. Inbound is not like when I was in other, other sales jobs, like in B2B sales, I would maybe get a couple appointments a day, maybe, maybe a couple appointments a week, but most of it was cold calling or outbound lead generation, mm. going out there, talking to business owners and stuff. So with your business today at seventh level, mm. like how much would you say is that your revenue comes from outbound versus inbound? Well, when I say outbound as well, it would come from like DMs and Instagram. It would come in from DMs in our social media, like Facebook. You would still groups. you would count that as outbound, even though they're yeah, because you're outbound. 
you're, well, you're, you're oh, messaging you DMing them. people. Yeah. Like we have DM setters that are in there messaging people. Okay. Got it. Got yeah, it. That's outbound. Okay. It's just a different way. Right. Yeah. Uh, most people would call outbound. Like there's two, most like cold calling. I wouldn't say is outbound. Outbound is like somebody responds to a Facebook ad. They put in their name, email, phone number, requesting somebody to call them back. They don't know who it is or when that's an outbound lead. Mm. Now you can have outbound cold calling. That's like taking a name and a phone number from LinkedIn. They have don't, don't know you from Adam. They've never seen any That's of your like stuff. That's like pure outbound. That's pure cold calling outbound. Yeah. And we do a ton of that too. So it's- That's most, kind of what I've considered outbound. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And some people would. So you got outbound leads and then outbound cold calling, right? Leads- Like more like prospecting. Name, We're trying yeah. to create a lead. Yeah. So what most salespeople do, unfortunately, with cold calling is they do this. Hi, is this John? Hey, John, it's James Miller with XYZ Company. Hey, the reason why I was calling was click. Yeah. And they go right into their solution. That quite literally is what 95% of cold callers say. So the problem with that type of approach, like my name is, I'm with XYZ company, and the reason why I'm calling you is, is every salesperson that's also cold calling them as a business, I mean, it's not like you're the only one cold calling them. They're getting cold calls from maintenance people, cop, you know, copy yeah. machines, you know, selling them a sink. Like they're getting cold calls all the time. And everyone, my name is, I'm with, the reason why I called. And so in a prospect's mind, that just triggers fight or flight because you sound like everybody. Yeah. So they're going in defensive mechanisms. Anytime a prospect feels or they hear certain words or tone that they've heard from other salespeople, they're instantly going into survival mode trying to get rid of you. So right? what's the proper way to outbound cold call? When do you want to know? Okay. So what you want to do is you want to use what's called a problem statement. Okay. okay. So let's say I'm selling what you do because we train a lot of people in that space. So I might print off some copies of, uh, so I, let's say I'm calling homeowners to yep. try to get them to sell their homes. So I might print off, in most states, you can go into like county tax records and print off the, you know, the property details. Yep. So I'm going to call, yeah, is this John? Yeah, uh, John, uh, Jeremy Mine, I'm holding a copy of your uh, county tax records on your property at 55 Willow Lane. I was wondering if you could uh, help me out for a moment. Well, what does that do? <laughs> like what? Triggers curiosity. Well, yeah. What do you mean? You've got my... County tax or what's this all about? That's what they're going to do. Yeah. Instantly, I changed it where they weren't like, click. Instantly, like, well, who is this again? Or what's this all about? That's all I want to do right there. To create curiosity. Trigger curiosity. Okay. Now, for other industries, there'll be other things you could do. I'm just going over yours. Okay. Yeah. I'm holding a copy of your county tax records on your property with 555 uh, Hodges Drive. I was wondering if you could possibly help me out for a moment. Uh, sure. Yeah. What's what's going on or who's this all about? Well, and I'm not even sure if it makes sense for us to talk, but I represent a group of high net worth investors that are looking to purchase typically three to five properties in like your general uh, vicinity. And we were looking at your property on the tax records and we were calling to see if you would be opposed to having a brief conversation around possibly selling your property. Would you be opposed to talking about that? <laughs> I love that. It's uh, very, very hard for them to say, yes, yes, I'm opposed. They're like, sure. What's, yeah. And they just, yeah, it's, uh, it's like seven yeah. out of 10 times yeah. when you get a prospect, seven out of 10 times you're in a conversation. So, Whereas most salespeople cold call in like, I got to talk to one out of 300 today. So I'll, I'll like, give you- I mean, you don't need props, but I'll yeah. give it to you. Like I've had many different sales trainers and people, you know, talk about cold calling. Mm. That was the best pitch I've heard to get them to go. You're welcome. There you go. That was the best. Human behavior, trigger curiosity. If you understand the way the brain works, you understand how to form your questions. If you don't understand- I'm going to start asking everyone if they're opposed to anything. I'm yeah. going to like do that with my wife. Are you opposed 
tonight. Yeah, and you want to set it up. There's a couple. <laughs> you want to couple, ask a couple questions before that and say, "Are you opposed to have doing this?" And the, <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, it's it's interesting. My marriage is about to get a lot better. Yeah, because then if they're like, well, they're like, oh, oh, we already have somebody for that. So let's say this: you do that, and they're like, oh, we already have somebody for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not a problem. And just so you're aware, I'm not quite sure we could even help you yet. Yeah. We, we don't even know, know if we want to work with you. Yeah. So like, yeah. oh, yeah. And and just so you know, so I'm I see in a cold call, it's really important because a lot's going on in the brain. You're right. a stranger. Yeah. If you knock on doors or you go business to business cold calling at their business, like you come into the office or you're on the phone, there's a lot going on in their brain, like fight or flight mode, like survival mode, like they're trying to get rid of you. So you got to calm down. You got to get them. You, we always call the ABDs of selling, always be disarming. Mm. So you always heard the ABCs of, of, of closing, right? Yep. You always be closing. That mantra is interesting because I'm like, ah, gosh, you know, Glenn, it's that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross show, like yeah, put yeah. the coffee down, coffee's for closers. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. You know, like that in my mind, that's what average salespeople do. Like, yeah, I'm going to close. It's not like when I was making two to $3 million a year in commissions as a salesperson working for companies, it wasn't like I got to them like, well, uh, George, uh, just let me know if you're interested. I mean, uh, that, uh, that's not going to work. But if I'm asking the option close and try to manipulate them, that triggers a lot of resistance. Right. So I want to get them to close themselves. So I, I have to disarm them. I have to get them to let their guard down or there's no sale. Yeah. Right? There's no trust. So wh- here, here what I do is because when I first do this, people like, what? You say that they might not even need you? Well, yeah, because I have no trust or credibility. So as soon as I tell them that I might not even be able to help, that maybe they're better off staying with who they already have, what do you think happens? They they're just disarmed. let their guard down. Yeah. I disarm them. And now throughout that conversation, I'm going to build a gap yeah. from where they are to where they want to be, where towards the end, they feel like, oh my gosh, like it's obvious that I need what this person's offering. So I'm like, oh yeah. And just so you know, I'm not quite sure we could even help you. But yet. that's what we do. I'd have to know more <laughs> about, you know, kind of the, 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 the property you have, the condition it's in and, and those type of details to, to give you an offer, uh, you know, cause otherwise, you know, to, to, you know, to even know what to give you an offer, because otherwise I'd just be throwing a price point out there and it might not even be worth what the home not, might not even be, it might be an offer that is, is far less than what the home is even worth. Are you opposed to having a conversation around that? Saying I'm right back into it. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. I'm not quite sure we can even help you yet. You know, we'd have to know more about what you're doing with X, Y, Z and kind of the results you're getting from that compared right. to where you're wanting to be, because you might be better staying with who you already have. Are you with me on that? Mm-hmm. By me saying, cause you might be better off staying with who you already have. They're just, they, well, I'm telling you, their guards are like, what do you have? <laughs> just, it just, they let their guard down. Cause I'm admitting that I might now notice I use the word might yeah. neutral. It's a neutral word. Possibly, you might be looking for possible. See, I'm look. I'm using yeah, neutral using words so I don't trigger resistance. The words I'm like hearing you use a lot are opposed, possibly, you know, possibly, might, might be. It, you know, so like, give an example. So let's say if a prospect, let's say if you're in B two B sales, I don't know if any of your audiences, and let's say that a prospect's like, you get a referral, and they're like, yeah, we're really interested. We know you guys are a really big firm. You've got a lot of client success. I might say, well. Just because we're a big firm might not mean that it would be right for you, though. I'd have to find out more. Now, what did I just do there? I'm saying, I'm, I'm getting them to pull me. See, I'm pushing back. See, mm-hmm. I'm teaching how to push back, like push them away yeah. to get them to do what? Pull you back in. Yeah. But most days we're like, oh, yeah, we're a big firm. That's why everybody comes to us. And they go right into their pitch. I'm pushing them back. Well, just because we're a big firm doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get you the best result. I'd have to find out. Now I'm neutral on that. I don't say 
anything positive or negative. I'd have to find out more about what you're doing here and here, uh, you know, and we and then we can go through the details to see if we could help. And then they're instantly pulling me back in. Mm. See, I want the prospect to pull me in because I know if they pull me in that it's their idea. They internalize, they internally persuade themselves. So I don't have cancels. We don't have chargebacks. We don't have any of that. So what's the culture like at your company? Like how many employees do you guys have? You know, is the sales floor like, you know, very laid back and chill? Is it rowdy? Are people like super well, we excited? Have, we have, uh, I'd have to ask my CEO now. I think we're like at 140 something, 141, 142. That could yeah. change. I, I don't even run the business. I don't even know what's going on. I don't even <laughs> get on the meetings anymore. Right. I'm not on any like the staff meetings or anything, uh, but I believe we're 140 something like that. Salespeople, we have like 33, 34. That's okay. our outbound and inbound team. We have about 10 in our office in Scottsdale and then we have about five in our office and in our international headquarters are in Sydney, Australia. So we have an office there as well. And then everybody else is virtually mm. virtual. Cause we started like, we started really growing like a month before COVID. And so we just kind of had to be virtual. And now we're starting to bring salespeople into the offices. Yeah. We are starting to make certain people come in the offices. Do you, obviously, I like the office environment. Right. That's where I come from corporate America. You yeah. know, I was in B2C sales, B2B, but it was mainly in the office. There was sometimes I'd work from home and stuff like that. But I love, see, I think working virtually there's an advantage that you can get tasks done because you're not interrupted unless you've got kids that you're yeah. distracted. But if you're sitting there and nobody's coming to your office because you're just at home and your spouse has gone to work or whatever, and you're just sitting there, you can get tasks done like crazy. So I think people to do tasks think working from home is just fine. But I think salespeople need to be around other salespeople because they just learn. There's energy. There's, they they learn. learn from each other. Like you go into the break room, you're sitting around like, hey, I just got this objection. Like, and I said this, like, oh, well, the way I would have handled would have been this. And like, oh, that's a good idea. So yeah. now they go in the room. And when you don't have that, when they're all on Zoom, it's like you have to have set up meetings and talk about that. It's just, it's not the same thing with the sales force. So I really like the salespeople coming in to the office. I, th I just think that I know the ones that are in our offices make more money than the ones that work yeah. from home. So what, what would you say is like the, the environment is everybody because our sales force is pretty chill. I would say ours is pretty chill. We're not Wolf on wall street. We're not, we're not, yeah. you know, cause I've been doing to Cardone sales floor and I, I mean, Andy Elliott, when he came in here, he brought like seven of his guys oh, yeah? and it's rowdy. Rowdy. Yeah. Meaning, uh, I mean, they're very like high energy, mm. just like pump you up. Yeah. Like ready to roll. Like it's like a, mm. I would, I would equate it to like a football team mm. getting yeah. ready for a game. I would say ours is more chill, more collective. Cause we're like, I, I love the rowdiness, but if you go into a like a sales call and you're all rowdy and hyped up, it, it's going to trigger a lot of resistance with the prospect because why would they care if you're rowdy or hyped up? It just salesperson trying to sell me something. So we typically come across, I mean, we, you know, we do great things. We have like a, we have a game room and stuff like that, but it's more about like, they're coming to the office to learn. Right. So like we do trainings like all the time, salespeople are learning, like they're in there to help people find and solve problems and they get paid a lot of money for it. I mean, I've got an eight, our top salesperson's 18 years old. He's really? on pace. He's on pace to make almost nine hundred thousand this year in commissions. Wow! He was a client. This is a crazy story. I, 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 I yeah, I want to hear. I want to I wanna hear about guy. this. I'd too. have to bring this guy in for you to even believe. It's crazy because he looks like he's thirty. You really? Know, like he gets on Zoom and he's just like he's just like bam. Like he's like closing big businesses, you know, and he's freaking 18. He doesn't say he's 18 because he looks like he's 30 or something. Right. But he was a client, like he got a sales job when he was like 16 and he was like one of our just regular clients and he started making like 10, 15, 20, 25 grand a month. And we're like, man, that guy's good. And so he wanted to work for us. We hired him a little bit over a year ago and he's just crushing it, man. 
how, many, how many of your clients do you end up recruiting for your own business? We because that's happened for me a lot. We try to we really try to stay away from that because right. we have a lot of companies that bring their uh, salespeople yeah, in. That, it's yeah, a conflict of interest. Yeah, that's a conflict. It's we would never like it's not a conflict. Yeah, we would never <laughs> like if we're training a company, we would never. If they came and applied, yeah, we turn them down because right. we just, it's a conflict of interest. So these are just, I mean, you know, we onboard like 5,000 new clients a month, you wow. know, into our high ticket programs and stuff. So there's plenty, right? And we see who really, really is good depending on which we have more advanced training programs, right? We have like NEPQ 2.0, NEPQ 3.0, advanced inner circle. And so as they get more and more advanced, they're more and more money. You have less people in those and we see who's really good. And who needs more work in those? Type I mean, of things. you guys are onboarding five thousand clients a month, and you yeah. told me you just started this four years ago. Yeah, uh, late twenty seventeen. Yeah, it was like a hobby the first year. It was me and my assistant. I yeah. took my assistant for my job. It's like, hey, I'm going to start a company <laughs> in about a year. You want to come with? And it was me and Beth, my assistant. And you had already killed it as just a, a guy on his own selling Supposedly. for other companies. Yeah, and then now. Like what, what was the biggest difference? Like actually building the company for yourself? Oh, it was rough first year, man. Cause I'm not a CEO. I'm just, it's completely different. Like being a, like a professional salesperson or even a VP of sales or even a chief sales officer of a company compared to being the CEO and business owner of the company. Right. Night and day difference, you know? And I don't think most people think about that. And so for the first year, I mean, the first year we did like 1.3 million in sales. I think we spent 1.8 million. So I lost like half a million dollars. I'm like, I, I had tons of testimonials. I'm like, great. I lost 500 grand. I'm glad everybody else is making money. You know, <laughs> I made and more so, money selling. I know, this right. Guy. And one of my clients, uh, his name's Matt Ryder. He's my business partner and, and CEO. Um, he was one of my clients that first year and we scaled his gyms where he sold them for a lot of money and just crushed it in like a year, year and a half. He's in Australia. That's why we're international headquarters in Sydney. And I was like, I need this guy to run the business. So in my persuasive way, he thinks he persuaded me, but I'm like, did yeah. you really persuade me? Because he called me like six months. He's like, you know, I really persuaded you to like get ownership in the company and see, I'm like, oh, you did. Is that what you thought? <laughs> How do you know I wasn't seeding that in your mind the whole time? So anyways, so he's great. We work really well together. And uh, he came on in, when was it? About two and a half years ago, yeah. like that. And then uh, Marco Cortese, which was one of our clients as well, he ended up making the year before like a million dollars in commissions at his job. He sold like fitness, like high-end uh, fitness programs, like coaching and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And now he's our chief revenue officer. He's over all of our marketing. Basically two and a half years ago when he came in, we're like, hey, these outside agencies, we, we they don't understand our brand. You're gonna have to learn how to market. He's like, I don't know how to market. Like, <laughs> here's a bunch of courses. He comes out like a month later and he like, he's like this brilliant marketer. We're like, God, where did this guy come from? Like, I, he's just like this brilliant marketer. And we just like this. That's funny. Literally like overnight, you know, it's yeah. crazy. We you know, hit our first million dollar month, then the first $1.5 million a month, then like three months later, we're at $2 million a month, then 2.5, then three. And what, we could probably be bigger right now where we're at, you know, where I kind of told you the numbers yeah. run a little bit over $4 million a month in revenue for a sales training company. That's a lot. It's insane. You know, it's yeah. you know, the profit margin is so high. We could be much bigger than that. We could put more money in ad spend, but our brand is more important for us to get the fulfillment. Right. Cause a lot of companies, they'll just spend money and like get all these clients and then the clients don't get results. And then they're done a couple of years later. Cause you get a lot of complaints. We'll, we'll never do that. We will purposely slow down the business and spend less and get less people into our advanced programs because it comes too crowded in the yeah. group trainings just because the brand to us the longevity is more important than paying myself 10 million dollars next year if that yeah. makes sense well we want the company to be here 50 years from now 100 yeah years from i mean now. when i was asking yeah. you earlier i was like hey so what is it you're trying to do with this you know who's who's your competition all this and you're yeah. like well you know this this company sandler's been around 
1971. 1971. They did what, 250 million or yeah, something? Yeah, they're crazy? the largest sales training company in North America. Yeah. In in Europe, there's actually a company. The biggest company in the world is like GTX. I think they're out of Stockholm, Sweden. They do about 400 million a year, just sales wow. training. But now we're implementing like placement. That's gonna. It's a whole nother. Mm, you know, probably my friend um, double our revenue. I don't know if you heard him. My friend Cole Gordon does that. I know Cole. Yeah. yeah, I've had dinner with Cole many times. He lives right across the street from me in Scottsdale. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He lives yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. Cole's great. Yep. He does placement in the, like the high ticket space, right? Yep. So we're so we're doing starting placement like solar and insurance and some other industries we have big ties in. We train thousands of people in. And then we're getting into like more of the uh, CRM type of uh, model and stuff with Salesforce. Because they all need it anyway. Salesforce and HubSpot. Well, it's interesting because- What do you think is the best CRM besides the one you're building? I think we use Close.io. Okay. I don't know much about, I mean- Dude, I'm just we, we use we use HubSpot right now, and okay. all I hear about is just complaints. And then we yeah. have Salesforce for one of my other companies. Yeah. Then we use Podio. Like, yeah. There's so many we use things. Close.io. The the thing with uh, a lot of people don't understand the way the way our brain works. So when a salesperson gets off a sales call, they're in right brain activity, emotional type of activity. It's a right brain activity. Sales calls. You're dealing with emotions. You're talking. Then they go over here and start entering all this data. And guess where their brain goes? Left brain. Okay. logical based thinking. So you go from right brain thinking on a sales call, two minutes later, you're logically thinking, entering data. Yeah. The mind going from logic back to emotion on average, it takes the average salesperson 19 minutes on the next sales call before they're fully back to that emotional state. Mm. Think of how many sales, salespeople lose. Just switching. You, switching because they're still in the logical part. They need to be in the emotional side the whole time. Somebody, so- one of my coaches told me that with, you know, whenever you're doing a presentation and, mm -hmm. and so it's a little different for me, right? Because with, with salespeople, uh, whether you're just going with a prospect or whatever the case is, like for me, it's, I'm the content, I'm the marketing guy, yeah. I'm on stage, I'm yeah. making videos. Yeah. Um, one thing he told me was, he's like, Ryan, you know, it's great that you're putting out such amazing mm -hmm. content, mm. but you would convert better if you did more context, mm. he's like, if you did, you know, 80% context, 20% content, mm -hmm. it would be far. What does he mean by context? <laughs> Basically the emotional side, yeah. like getting people, mm -hmm. um, you know, to the point of belief that they can do it, helping them understand yeah. they have the problem. It's getting them to emotional state. It's what Tony Robbins Exactly. Does. And he's like, yeah. you're, you're so logic based and just, yeah. you want to give so much value. Yeah. But the problem is people they can learn, you can give them all the stuff, but if they yeah. don't make the decision that they want to actually, everybody use it. makes every decision you ever make is emotional. Right. You know, I, I see people like, Oh, you don't understand B2B sales. It's all logic. I'm like, I hate to tell you this, but like the way the brain works is you quite li literally can't decide to go pee without making an emotional decision. Mm. Like your brain, your emotional side of your brain is makes decisions for you to eat, to go left, to go right. And then you justify like, like in the military, like I'll give you an example. Let's say that you're you're in the military and a grenade goes off and it damages your brain. It damages your right side of your brain, your emotional side of your brain. Those people are vegetables. They you can't decide to even get up to tie your shoes or go to the bathroom without your emotional side of your brain. Mm. You don't make decisions on logic. It's all emotion, and you justify it later with logic. Right. Every even Warren Buffett when he makes a financial decision is first starts in his emotional side of his brain and then goes to his logic part of his brain. Mm. If you don't have the emotional side, you, you're a vegetable. You can't move. Right. What do you think about, <laughs> so I know you have structure with everything you guys teach. And by the way, yeah. for those who don't know, how do they start working with you? 
Yeah, you know, the, the best place, we'll give them some nibbles. We always like to give nibbles. So have them go to our, our free Facebook group, salesrevolution.pro. I think I had my assistant, Natalia, send it to you guys. So go to salesrevolution.pro. Okay. Uh, it's a Facebook group. There's 70 some thousand salespeople in there, all industries, all helping each other. We go live in there two, three, four times a week, different Q and A's. salesrevolution.pro, the link. That's yeah, like just www.salesrevolution.pro. And that'll take them to the, the free Take group. them right to the free group. That's probably the best way. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll, uh, for any of the listeners, if they, because I know we didn't have time to go through a lot of all the different questions. Oh my here's gosh, how to so many. Yeah. But we have, a, we have a, a booklet. It's about a 50 page booklet called the NEPQ Black Book of Questions. There's like 273 different NEPQ questions used for different situations, different times. And we'll give that to them for free. Sweet. Uh, but they'll have to DM me. Now, I probably won't be the one DMing you back. Probably one of my stunt doubles, yeah. surrogates, right? Like Ryan has his stunt doubles in there. Many. Uh, but just say, hey, I was I uh, heard Jeremy on Ryan's podcast. Can I have that black book of questions? And they'll send you over the PDF. I'm totally Sweet. cool with that. We won't charge them for that. I love it. Yeah. So final thing. One yeah. thing I've always heard about, you know, the, a common question we get for new salespeople or mm. trying to get homeowners. They're like, okay, but like what script should I follow? Mm. And I've always been a guy, I'm like, mm. dude, you don't like scripts aren't a thing. Like uh, there's structure and like you have to have a, sales a flow. Yeah. But you shouldn't be just like word for word following scripts. Like what's your thoughts? Well, I, I feel scripts are good to have a structure. Okay. But the conversation never goes as planned. No. It's like, it's like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan to get punched in the nose. Right. And every prospect you're talking to always says something different or throws you off. Right. But you still want to have that structure to know kind of the path to take them down. Yeah. But you know, there's certain questions on that sales structure that might not be needed based on what they said. Right. And I might have to relanguage. <laughs> You're not just going to ask the question. Just, yeah, but oh, a lot of salespeople do that. A lot of I know. And that's why they sound scripted. Right. Sounding scripted is the worst thing possible you can do with the prospect because they feel like they're in a sales call. Yeah. They feel like they're a telemarketer, quite literally leading the, reading the two paragraphs. And so instantly, even if they stay on that sales call, what's going to happen is they stay surface level. So if you're a salesperson watching this, if you're asking questions and the prospect's giving you vague, generalized answers or two or three word responses, it's because they've emotionally shut down by something you said or how you've said it, your tone, and the questions you're asking sound scripted. So going back to verbal cues, because you're asking me that. So the way you use verbal cues, besides just showing that you're present in that conversation, is you want to use a verbal cue to bridge from question to question. Okay. okay so I'll give you an example. Um, I might say, so, so walk me through, like, what, what do you guys do now to, to generate new leads and clients for your industry? And you're like, oh, we do Facebook. And I'm saying, okay, uh huh. Oh, so I'm going to say, oh, okay. And how long have you been doing that for? Oh, okay. That's a verbal cue. Oh, now most salespeople do this. So I'll ask that first question, the prospect will answer. And then they'll step back and they'll go like, okay, cool. Next question. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, let me ask you, John. And it sounds so scripted because that's not how a real conversation no. goes. But if I'm like, oh, and how long have you been doing that for? Uh-huh. Really? So what caused you to do that compared to X, Y, Z? Ah, I see. And then that process you've been using, like, I mean, it can't be all doom and gloom. I mean, what, what you've been with them for five years can't be all doom and gloom. What do you like about them? Oh, we like this. We like that. Uh, okay, what would you change though if you could though? Mm -hmm. See, I'm using verbal cues to bridge from question to question, which causes the conversation to feel natural. So the yeah. prospect keeps their guard down. Right. It's all about keeping the guard down the entire conversation. If you can do that, 
you're gonna you're, you're gonna, gonna make ten times more than any other salesperson selling the same damn thing that sounds scripted or sounds salesy or uses needy words. Like you just have no, it's just you have such a competitive advantage. It's not it's not not even fair. No, not at all. <laughs> so what's next for you? I mean, you said yeah. you're not spending a ton of time in the business. You know, you've got a great you do all team. The tra- I mean, dude, I do all the training. We develop products all the time. Oh, uh, so you're yeah, they, you're the, handling fulfillment. My, my a lot. board of directors named me the the chief creative officer. I was the CEO. Yeah. Till two, two and a half years ago, then Matt took that title. I was the chairman of the board. Then six months ago, they're like, you can't be the chairman of the board anymore. Cause we're all, we're officer. all like the, we're <laughs> all like corporate now. So they br- bring in all these, you know, big corporate people to run everything, all attorneys and lawyers and everything. They're like, we're going to call you the founder and chief creative officer. I'm like, okay, I'm just the founder, I'm just the founder guy. <laughs> but I'm always developing new products. You know, I, you know, typically I do two lives a week in our Facebook groups uh, IG lives, you know, things like that. You know, I develop products all the time. I just redid our NEPQ 2.0 training portal. So I just re-recorded like 18 hours worth of content wow. for that. Um, I just did an insurance specific product. That's 10 hours of virtual training content, uh, for final expense. Life so you're, insurance you're just, I'm, I mean, you're very similar to what I do right now. It's like a lot of just content. You do and Thursdays products. and Fridays. That's all I do. So Thursdays yeah. and Fridays on my calendar, you know what I do? Reels, intentional so we do like a probably do is we do like four reels a day yep yep you know uh and then like two posts a day on all the different channels we do youtube shorts now we have we start we just started doing like long form youtube we only have like forty thousand subscribers on youtube we haven't done anything with youtube that's our next step youtube we've dominated facebook and ig now we're like we're bringing in uh people for youtube we've been a whole youtube studio but thursdays and fridays all i do is shoot reels and shoot ads yep that's all i do those that I just walk in I for feel the eight same. hours straight. <laughs> well, I, always, I always say like, I'm a, I'm a, excuse my language. I, yeah. My mom would wash my mouth out with soap if I said this, but I feel like I'm a content slut. <laughs> just do content. I'm used for content. Like just, there you are. Just do the content. I'm probably yeah. like you. Dance like, around. Dance we need around. You to dance and say this. Do the content, you know? Yeah. So we, you know, we have these editors that repurpose our, you know, like if I'm doing group trainings for a company or a virtual keynote or a live keynote, we always repurpose that for our reels. And then right. we do like 60 intentional reels per month. Yep. yep. So you're into, you know, so we'll go in direct. To what are salespeople Googling? What are they asking in YouTube search? And then we do reels around that. And then you'll have a reel that might have 3 million views. And then you, you, shit, you have some others that have 80,000. It just mm-hmm. depends, you know? Yeah. Depends on what lands. But our stuff is not like, you know, like Brad, I love Brad. Yeah. He, I said like, dude, how did you get the crazy? He's like, oh, well, I'm provocative. And I say all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, but with us, like, it's more about like intentional, tactical, <laughs> I was about to say, tactical you're, training. You're very intentional. And, you yeah. know, I told you right at the beginning of this conversation, I just wing it. Yeah. And like me and Brad definitely come from that of like, yeah. Let's just Brad. roll. We, we have our training portals. Uh, some of our training portals are through Lightspeed and then others are through Kajabi and stuff. Oh, so I love cool. Brad. Yeah. I, I, I should go visit him today. You should. So he's the, the rhino guy. But I was, uh, but it's so funny because I'm like, dude, he's like, well, I'm provocative. And I say this stuff and I'm like, man, is this uh, like, I've got companies looking at me. I got, you know, we just signed ExxonMobil as one of our clients. <laughs> like, hey, if I'm doing that with ExxonMobil, that's going to turn them off. So I might get smaller views, but mine are more like intentional because I'm looking for Yeah, they're the higher client. quality. They're the exact I, view exactly. you're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're not broad, just random. Yeah, because TikTok's crazy. You know, you do like a reel on TikTok, you might have 3 million views, but it's like the wild, wild west. They're not even <laughs> salespeople. No. Or entrepreneurs. They're just like some cool. crazy guy that lives in his basement in Iowa, his mom's basement that like is a you know, a stalker that says weird things. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, how did that guy even see this real? But with IG, it's, it's just more targeted. It's very curated. Yeah. It's very, it's much better for sure. Yeah. 
Well, bro, I appreciate you coming out to Vegas, man. Spending Hopefully some time I gave with you. A few, you know, little, little nibbles. Oh, dude, we I got a lot of nibbles. I can't yeah. wait to to see the entrees and the desserts. I know. Yeah, the full course meals and stuff, the five course meals. Yeah. No, I love your industry. Uh, I mean, we train a lot of companies like marketing agencies too and yeah. and and companies do real estate like Pace Mobility and stuff. We got to train a bunch of his guys and stuff like that. So I I, I get it's a both of those are really good services. People have tons of problems. Yep. You guys have the solutions to solve those. All that's missing, the missing link is just the salespeople's communication skills Yep, to communicate it. That's it. Once you do that, easy to sell. I love it. Well, guys, go get that um, free, what was it called again? The black? Yeah, just get, have them go to salesrevolution.pro, yep. salesrevolution.pro, free Facebook group. Yep. When you get in there, the DMs, message me and say, hey, I heard Jeremy on Ryan's podcast. Yep. Can you send me the black book of questions? I'll give it to you for free. And we have a new book. It's called The New Model of Selling, Selling to an Unsellable Generation. Uh, I think my assistant gave you the Barnes & Noble link. Sweet. So we have a deal with Barnes & Noble that the more books we sell online, the more they stock on their shelves. Right now, most stores, we have like one or two books. It just came out three months ago. Sweet. It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, Amazon bestseller, uh, Barnes & Noble bestseller already. So we gave them the Barnes & Noble link. It's $17 for the book. If anybody needs a GoFundMe page, for that $17 investment, let us know. We'll establish the GoFundMe page. But you go to Barnes and I'd ask you to buy the book from Barnes and Noble, not Amazon, even though I love Amazon, but we have a, a good deal with Barnes and Noble. So if you go to Barnes and Noble's website and we gave you the link to, directly to the book, yep. that book we made very tactical. You know, I've read, um, we didn't talk about this, but I've read, geez, I learned this from Brian Tracy himself. Like my first seven summers, like, use your vehicles, the university on wheels. So I'm like, okay, turn off the radio. No, no more songs or whatever. And since then I've either read or listened to uh, five books a month times 12 months a year times 22 years. It's like 1,340 some books. Now I don't read all those. I usually will listen to about two or three in the car yep. driving around. Yep. And then I read two or three books all on sales persuasion and influence. And so most of those books I always found was just like theory and rehashing the same theory. And I, I'd walk away and I'm like, I didn't learn anything. Right. So in this book, uh, the co-author and I, Jerry Acuff, he's a, another sales trainer. We wanted to write like tactical training. Here's the right questions. Here's why you're asking them. Here's what not to do. Here's what to do and why. So they can actually read the book and actually put it down and go out and sell over the next day. Mm. So that book is very, very tactical. So if you want to take your sales ability to another level, that book probably would be a good read for sure. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Oh, thank you. Very <laughs> I actually brought you one. I was oh, gonna, sweet. I was going to authorize it with my nice yeah. little message. Let's do it. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I I don't read five a month, but I read about two to three a month. And so uh, I, I'm not a listener. Like I don't yeah. absorb it as much. I have to like physically it, read. It is like uh, a really trick to the uh, trade there is if you listen to it the same time you're reading it. Oh, yeah. So if you listen really in the good. car and then you're reading it at home, you're actually going to retain a lot more. 100%. Trick to the brain. Yeah. I love it. It was a, it was a pleasure being on your show, man. Appreciate yeah. It's yeah. fun. I appreciate you, How much, bro. Jeez, we've been on a while, dude. Yeah, dude. We've I been lost track of time. I could have kept going. That's a good sales meeting, you know, you when go. you're just vibing. I like it, man. <laughs> well, guys, we're both <laughs> baseball bros. We, we got we got that going for us. There we go. Well, guys, make sure you subscribe. Go check out Jeremy's new new uh, YouTube channel and go show him some love. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace. If I was to kidnap your kids, put a gun to their head, and I was going to kill them, if you didn't sell thirty cars. Would you sell 30? People don't accidentally get successful. People win on purpose. You know why? Because they have an intent. Everybody sucks till they don't. Everybody starts somewhere until they rise to the top. I stuttered. I literally was the least likely to make it. What I did is that I started